When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This idea that there is a world that was sort of promised Mm. in the 80s and 90s that wasn't real, right? You know, we got the satanic panic and all the horrible things that flowed from that. But there were no Satanists. Like, that was not a real thing, right? There were not satanic ritual abuse. It wasn't a thing. Um, We get all these, like, you know... I, there's all these like pop culture ideas, all these like movies, all these things that like I loved that I wanted to be real. Jason Cordova returns to Tabletop Talk. Now, he was on the show previously talking about Brindlewood Bay. Make sure you go check it out. The link's in the show notes. But today we talked to him and one of his writing partners, Alex, about the new card from Brindlewood game, Public Access. Alex shows us that writing your first game is the only way to actually becoming a game designer. And Jason shares how the seed for public access was planted when he was on a road trip at five years old, but it didn't bloom until Brenda Wood Bay was created. We spent a lot of time talking about how they worked through creating the most complicated mystery for the game and their process for this mystery gave me a lot of insight into their creative process and problem solving. Last but not least, of course, we do recommendations and you're not going to want to miss these. Jason recommends one of my new favorite podcasts. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Alex and Jason. This is Chris Bybee. When I'm not looking for another ball of scotch, you'll find me listening to Tabletop Talk. Howdy friends, Craig here. I have two guests today. The first is Alex Rabitsky. He is an actor, voiceover artist, part-time game designer, full-time idea generator, and the co-host of the Dark and Threshold podcast. He is also written for the Public Access RPG and is co-developing the upcoming Moonlight Vale, a TTRPG inspired by Stardew Valley. Alex, welcome to the third floor. Welcome to the third floor. Hello, everyone. I I guess I'm a relatively young gamer. I've only been really in the hobby since 2016. There was a brief stint early on years before that when I was a freshman in high school. My friends recruited me to play fourth edition and I hated it. So I didn't play until college. Well, so, hold, oh, slow down. Slow down for me, Alex. Why did you hate fourth edition? Uh, well, at the time, I don't think it was because of anything fourth edition did. <laughs> it's because no one explained to me what I was supposed to do. So we got to go back there, Alex. Even so, further. Let's go. No, no. So you sit down, you're introduced to fourth edition. What was the mistake? And like, how did I want to go to the table? So I was a freshman at the time. I had no prior gaming experience. I was a big you know, video gamer. Gotcha. But I had always been interested in trying like tabletop games ever since I first heard of the concept of Dungeons and Dragons when I was a young kid. So I jumped at the chance for that. I had some friends in my theater department who wanted to get a group going as an actual school club. So I joined because it sounded awesome. And (laughs) it was all it was with all these people I really loved. So I I went into the group. 
uh, it was in, I think, a Spanish teacher's classroom. And we sat down. They gave me a character sheet. And congratulations, you're a monk. And I said, what does a monk do? And they say, uh, like, you ever see a kung fu movie? And I'm like, yeah. Like, great. Just do that. I said, what, what does this mean on my sheet here? And they said, hey, don't, don't worry about that. Just, just, just kind of do whatever. Um, so three hours later, wow. I was lying dead on a raft because my teammate shot me in the back. And I kind of left for I left that session like I don't know what happened I, I i and i could not tell you actually like other than like the lead up and then the ending because i don't remember the game right it was i was i spent the entire time so confused yeah um and also you know just i i was very unfocused and i didn't really <laughs> feel engaged i didn't understand the mechanics yep uh but then yeah like i i I'm, I, I gave it a second chance uh, years later because i got into tabletops uh, again through uh, actual plays that I was seeing when I was in my first year of college. Gotcha. Played, you know, 3.5 with my friends. Then I started running games myself. Just kind of fell in love with it and pick up every system I can find. So you bounce off it pretty hard for obviously good reasons, right? You were you had a terrible table experience, but something calls you back and you hinted that it was actual plays, but I want to go back to there. So this you're like, screw this stuff. You guys do this. This is a bunch of garbage. I don't know whatever the big deal is about. When did, what was the initial siren call to come back? Yeah. So, and I, I wouldn't say it was like a, you know, I never was like put off by the idea of TTRPGs. Okay. I just think that like it became such a, a back pocket priority of like, okay, Got well, it. I, I did it. It wasn't that successful. I might do it again. Never did until, until college. I remember very specifically, I was in my dorm. It was towards the end of my second semester and I was bored and I decided to start watching the old um, there was there was this old YouTube series uh, uh, called Unforgotten Realms, which was an like an animated comedy show about two friends playing a TTRPG that I got <laughs> okay. really into when I was younger. Um, and I was just, you know, having a little bit of like a nostalgia moment of like, oh, I'm going to go watch these old little episodes of Unforgotten Realms. Um, and I I was watching it and I thought, oh, yeah, I remember being interested in, in like trying this out. Uh, I, I like role playing. I, I did some more like a, uh, like video game RP stuff from time to time or right. some forum stuff. I was a big World of Warcraft player and I was like really into like, wow, RP servers. And so I was like, I, I could do this again. Let me um, I'm going to go just like look up uh, Dungeons and Dragons and just go watch things I can find. Uh, fell down like the the critical role rabbit hole, like really hard, like got into. And this is like campaign one, obviously. So it was uh, like I, it, in those really early episodes, it really was just here's a group of, you know, six people in like a conference room. It right. looks actually like playing the game, actually yeah. playing the game. And, and the banter was really fun. Yep. Um, so I went home. Yeah, uh, following, you know, my, uh, that uh, uh, semester, I went, you know, I, I, I went to college in New York City. So I went back to uh, Colorado and I had all my friends from high school where I met up with them at a big, you know, group friend dinner thing. And I just said, does anyone here know how to play Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> or like run Dungeons and Dragons? And I had a very good friend named Tim who said, yes, I do. And I was like, could you run it for me? because I'm very interested to actually like play it. And he said, right. yeah, absolutely. Um, we grabbed a bunch of friends and for that entire summer, 
like every week we would meet in his parents basement uh, which was a really nice finished basement with like a movie like theater in it. So oh, it was wow, like okay. we had like, <laughs> like like white people basement. <laughs> we had the table in front of a projector screen. It was white people rich. Yeah, it was it was yeah, absolutely. It was listen, uh, I don't live there now, but if anyone ever is, you know, here's the name Highlands Ranch, Colorado. It is wealthy white suburbia for the most part. So it was a very nice finished basement that I played in. I ate wings and delicious foods i remember one of our i think my the druid of our party made gumbo one night or jambalaya nice. and brought that and yeah it was great no no this like the, the, uh, that was some of my favorite um gaming experience like, like early on it was um not the most it wasn't a, i wouldn't say it was a good game but it was sure. a fun game we had a great time with it even if like you know, the plot had, you know, really kind of like no ground to run on, but we were just having fun and we still tell stories about it. So that was when it kicked off and I got like the bug to start running games myself. So, and so it sounds like the summer, the summer that we introduced Alex, you know, to, to, to the tabletop gaming. And it sounds like it was obviously a much better experience, but what I'm curious to know is what was the next game? So D and uh, almost most of our first games what was the next game that came on your radar? Yeah, so I had gone from playing 3.5 and I decided when I went back to school for my second year, I was going to run for some of my friends uh, at NYU and I picked up 5th edition because uh, I, I didn't want to learn 3.5. Yep. Uh, and then for several months was just doing that. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the next game I picked up was Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Um, because I've, I'm a big like Cthulhu mythos like nerd I really love digging into that stuff and I remember like doing some reading just getting like looking into stuff and I saw that there was a, a role-playing game for it as well so I I got the seventh edition bought the rule book started reading the rule book and uh digested it in my dorm room mm-hmm. and I, I believe my first time running it was so I had a friend that uh, was in my main group, uh, one of my closest friends at the time. Um, and sh- uh, she told me, hey, I have some friends in Brooklyn. They're starting a, a charity streaming ta- uh, tabletop channel. And would you like to, you know, meet them? Would you like to come hang out with us? And I was like, yeah. So, you know, I went to one of their like parties, hung out with them, met the guy in charge. He asked me, do you want to run something? on on our channel and i said uh i'm interested in call of cthulhu and he said great i love call of cthulhu have you ever run it before and i said uh, no he's like <laughs> better love it let's get it uh ran a ran a uh, a little mini campaign uh was, I, I i did so much for that channel so i i learned more about other games through that actually that, right. the first time i ever learned about dungeon world was through those guys gotcha. i still to this day have never played dungeon world but i i knew about it because of that circle. So I spent a lot of time uh, kind of like learning about other games and playing other games. And that's kind of where I began to sink my money into books at every <laughs> opportunity because so I just knew when you you're boy, what, what a way to run a game for the first time is, you know, live on a live stream. So God bless you for that. <laughs> Having only really played D&D before and then transitioning to running a Call of Cthulhu, what would, for you, what was the big difference? I think the big difference for me specifically between those two systems um, was that I had a I had a grasp on on fifth edition at that point when I was playing it. I had mm-hmm. a, a, um, a pretty good idea of like 
how I liked to run games at the moment, obviously, like now, years later, how I like to run games is completely different. But like I had, I had good footing and I thought I had digested enough of the rule book to understand the intricacies of Call of Cthulhu. I did not, but yeah. I, I, I was into it. I, I think where things got like a little like hitched up was I often felt like if I can recall, like what it, what my brain was like at that time. Um, the thing I, I stumbled over a lot was, um, kind of understanding how to let the investigation feed back into the story and like cycle, like, I, cause Interesting. I had a loose idea of like what the plot was. It was all homebrew. Like I had come up with all the stuff myself. I wasn't mm-hmm. running anything other than what I had come, come up with. And a lot of the time I actually was like, I was writing the episode 10 minutes from air. Cause I was like, uh, I think this is going to be a good idea. Um, and, uh, I, I, a lot of the time I was just like, Ooh, I don't feel like, I don't know. Like I, I, it's hard to phrase because like for me now, I, I have a much better grasp on not just those games, but a bunch of other games. So in all these different games inform my GMing. So I'm like really comfortable with approaching material in different ways. Even if I don't know the system that well, just at that time, it was very, new and and not because it was a new system but i think it was because call of cthulhu is a different style of play i wasn't like running around being like yeah it's we're gonna be killing horrors the whole time and right. combat all the time like and i knew like what the game was supposed to be going for i just think that uh my brain was set in the rut of like this is how all of my other experiences have gone thus far and then, oh, God, I never could figure out how uh, chase rules work or how like <laughs> anything in that game. Like to this day, I still stumble through Call of Cthulhu when I'm just like, oh, God, what are why is there a five page flow chart for this thing? What is happening? If two really, chase rules and grappling rules in 3.5, <sighs> I don't know how we survived. <laughs> um, so here's a question for you, Alex. Let's let's say I, I go grab you running. Um, public access right and i watch yeah. you watch running several sessions of public access and i break into your house and okay. i find an early recording of you running call of cthulhu and watching them back to back what hasn't changed so what were you as a gm back then that has survived all of the exposure you've had now i love creeping people out this has like <laughs> always been the mainstay is i even when i wasn't running a horror oriented thing with you know D. I still love, I mean, actually, like, literally the first fifth edition game I ever like ran for what would become my dedicated group was a Halloween one shot. Mm. Uh, and like, I'm, I'm a big horror fan anyway, but I'll, I mean, uh, for like, I can see a few areas that, that still kind of overlap to this day. I do. I, I've always been a character voice guy that has never changed. I have always been like, I'm going to get really in the character, really like embody them, do a voice for them. Yeah. Sometimes over the top, but sometimes like more like subtle and just like, you know, uh, just kind of more getting some affectation that brings out their personality a bit more. Um, I can, I could literally do every single NPC from that game off the top of my head and from all of my games in general, because that's been a thing I've done since the start. I sure. always give my characters some distinct trait that is like my 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 hook onto the hook. them yeah. yeah yeah which you know it's such a common thing in in for a lot of gms but that's always been the case for me is 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 how i get into those kind of characters uh and yeah just the way i usually approach matters of diverting 
questions to people. I was, you know, as as the terminology goes in in the carve from Rindlewood games, I was painting the scene long right. before I knew what painting the scene like what, what was a thing like mm-hmm. in in that regard. Uh, because I I always knew with all of my groups. Obviously, you know, my main group in New York, we were all for the most part, all of us were actors going right. to school at professional acting studios. But you know, my other casual groups, not all of us were actors. Some of us were specifically uh, uh still in performance areas but some of us were filmmakers and then my friends back home you know from from my like high school you know s- summer break group was uh it was all you know, i don't think there was any actors in that whatsoever you know it was so so I, I i always just knew though regardless of that everyone around me has such fun ideas going on in their own head that i really like poking into those i've never been the kind of gm who really likes to be in charge all the time, always and constantly being the one to like come up with all the stuff and like, yep, here's like, here's my world. Here's all of my ideas. I've always been asking questions because I, I I always know that people have interesting answers, especially when those answers relate to their characters and in a horror environment, a lot of that, you know, the fun of, uh, of horror tabletop gaming is, um, you know, when you can successfully scare someone in that scenario, it's always a success because it mean it means one they're invested right. enough in like what's going on to feel fear. Uh, but it's the kind of fear that you know we enjoy from watching horror movies. It means that it's like you have to be both safe and feel unsafe. And I uh, uh, I always loved just getting people to be like, "Ooh, yeah, I care about my character enough, yeah. and I care about this." Uh, this kind of scene we're in that, yeah, this is creeping me out. I'm invested. And a lot of that investment always came from, you know, as I said, getting people to answer questions at the table. Yeah. It's something I think that's unique about horror role playing. And I think, cause this, it's my favorite genre, right? It's not the only genre I run, but it's by far my favorite. Um, I find it easier. Easier is not the right word. I find it more satisfying to get character to get players to give a shit in horror there's just something about the genre that that just makes you care and makes you give a shit that sometimes other genres it's you can still do it but it's it's a bit of a heavier lift um so i'm with you completely on that so i guess my next question then uh for you alex is when does the gravity of the gauntlet start to slowly reach out and pull you in so i can tell you exactly because i've talked about this on uh jason i's podcast as well uh so I got involved with the gauntlet. I I never even like was aware of the whole like play community thing from like years and years back. I I never heard of this. I was this was I believe this was 2021, I want to say. It was I've been doing a lot of gaming during the pandemic. A lot of gaming. And um I was looking for new games. I was still running D and D a lot. I was still running other games that I that I'm uh, quite a, you know quite fond of. I was looking for something else, and, and I don't remember which website published this article. I was doing some googling of like you know different you know keywords, and I found an article that was basically like a list of systems that aren't Dungeons and Dragons. You know. Um, which is always a popular discussion topic of yeah. here's the article that it, here's a bunch of systems for people out there. Um, I think I was looking for horror. I'm pretty sure I was looking for horror 
I, I may have been looking, I can't say with certainty, I may have been looking for more Cthulhu mm-hmm. games because I was like, I like Call of Cthulhu, but I don't want to run Call of Cthulhu all the time. Yeah. And Brindlewood Bay was on the list. Now, this was before the Brindlewood Bay Kickstarter. This was the original, you know, black and white little uh, tiny book version. And I was hooked by the premise. I was mm-hmm. like, old women fighting cults and monsters and I all in. Uh, and I knew from the jump uh, that the mystery system was uh, not uh, did, did not have canonical answers. It was a, a uh, you, you you theorize things at the table. Which, so real, real quick question yeah. about that, though, Alex, because and I've talked to Jason about this. The first time I read so that the hook on Brenda Wood Bay, I think, is one of the greatest ever. Right. Like you, you, you sell some of the hook. They're like, holy shit. Tell me more. Um, I think it's one of the beauties, beauties right out of the gate for the system. Um, and this isn't a confession because I think I've talked to Jason about this. I bounced off the mystery system at first. I, I, and, and that is because I'm an old dude and you know, that's, I've run mysteries, you know, my whole time. And, And then I, after I had time to digest it and I came back to it, I was like, you know, holy shit, did you have, but it sounds like that didn't happen to you. It sounds like you came across it the first time and jumped right in. I've always been really open-minded with like new tabletop concepts. I mean, again, like I can't say how much of this is just because of how I'm an enthusiastic. I am enthusiastic about things that interest me. Like I will just dive in if something seems cool, but I I don't know how much of it has to do with that. And also just me coming from an improv acting background and already just being interested in like, you know, coming up with things in the moment. Um, and not ingrained I, in the in gaming for 20 some odd years, 30 some odd years. Right. So yeah. you've got a little bit of a fresh eyes coming into a different time in the system. So that makes total yeah. sense to me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I fully, you know, acknowledge and embrace my status as a as a as a relatively to a lot of people in the space, younger gamer. Uh, I don't think I had any hang ups from the concept. I did think that it might I wasn't sure how it would work. Yeah. I, I knew I wanted to do it and I was interested in seeing it in play. But I I was someone who really did like doing traditional mysteries because I'm a big fan of uh, uh, the game designer, Justin Alexander, and his blog, mm-hmm. The Alexandrian, uh, his uh, article, The Three Clue Rule. Yep. I am a big fan of all of those things. I've you know name dropped it many different times because I think it is genuinely a, a useful resource for coming up with the. Uh, just as traditional mysteries. Yeah. yeah. And um, very nice guy. And I uh, was really into crafting mysteries and like letting people investigate them. And it it I wasn't sure if it if I was afraid it was going to feel less less authentic. But I was like, OK, well, we'll see where this goes. We'll see where this goes. And I, I sat down with my friends, you know, uh, my 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 friends from New York. Uh, we were meeting online to to play games. And I said, I want to do something different. I, I like we we let's take a break. I'm kind of burned out from running our D&D game right now. Do you guys want to play old women? And they were like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We do. And we played a first session. We were real into it. Now, I and I've said this on uh, on the Dark and Threshold before. I went in thinking it was going to be a lot more difficult for them to be as interested as I was because I walked in like, hey, guys, I know this is going to be real weird to you, but there's no canonical solution. We got to come up with it together. And I was approaching it like very like, hey, guys, was very cautiously to hear me out. And they went, OK, cool. Yeah, we're in. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's 
That's so, great. So I, 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 you know, obviously my first time running, I wasn't sure like 100% like the best practices, but it was really fun. We had a great time with it and enough to do a full campaign of Brenda Wood Bay from That's there. Great. Yeah, we had a great time and we came up with great theories. And like, so I've never had um, hangups and I'm very happy that all the people I have met and told and run Brindlewood Bay for have never been the type of people who like bounce off the idea. I, I understand that there are a lot of people out there who are like, yeah, I tried to give, give it to my group and they hated the idea of theorizing. Even before I was having these like game design chats with like Jason, I was already kind of aware of like, this is emulating what it feels like to be the detective where you get to monologue about how all things fit together. And going back to what I was saying about my early experiences in GMing, this was a direct game, hard coded means of getting everyone at the table yeah. to provide their ideas. I was in. So I played Brindlewood Bay. I then picked up the between started yeah. running the between on stream and I got uh, I think I joined the Gauntlet Discord and I and I shared like, hey, I'm I'm doing a stream of of this game. And occasionally uh, uh, Jason and a few others would come and like pop in and participate in the chat. And I was kind of like loosely engaged on the periphery with um like the Gauntlet. It's just as a like, community member mm-hmm. because I was just like, yeah, I'm doing the stream. I also like talking about these games with you guys. And I'm like watching these other APs on Jason's channel. And I think the moment everything became doomed for me was (laughs) for a while i had seen that as part of like a um a writing contest the gauntlet had done previously the participants were going to be given a um uh an adaptation of the brindlewood bay mystery exit stage death but for the between oh nice oh that's really cool and fun i love exit stage death and i love the whole like and the idea of like, oh, Victorian theater horror. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a few times I like nudged on the discord. But I was like, hey, any updates on this yet? And Jason would just kind of be like, oh, uh, no, it's not out yet. Haven't done it yet. I'm like, OK, cool. And then I think this was like sometime in like mm, April or May of last year somewhere. I asked that in the discord again. And he like responded with like, I was going to ask you to write it, actually. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, do you, do you want to do, do it? And I'm like, you so, so I need you to pause for a second yes. here, Alex, because this is interesting to me. Jason, where did you get that dumb idea? Right. Where did you get this idea? That, like this person who's been bugging the shit out of you, you know, screw it. I want them to do it. What made you think that that would work? Well, I don't think it was so much that Alex was uh, and also. Hello. I don't, <laughs> I'm happy to be back on the show. Um, no, we'll do your full I, intro I, later, but I had to bring you in. No, no, it's fine. No, no, no. I'm, I've been just like happily listening to Alex. Um, no, I. I don't think it, you know, I don't think Alex was bugging me. I think what it was for me, you know, I had been watching Alex's uh, group's stream of the between mm-hmm. and I really, I really liked it. I mean, I didn't get a chance. I wasn't able to watch all of it, but I was able to watch a fair amount of it. And I could tell that Alex really understood the system. Got it. And that's very important yeah. to me. Um, so the fact that Alex was not, a tested game writer had no game writing credits. That was less important to me than the fact that at a fundamental level, Alex clearly understands how the system works and what it's underlying sort of things that it's doing under the hood, because I think that that helps in writing for these games. Yeah. And so, uh, 
it was really, it was, so that was part, that was a big part of it. I was like, I, you know, at the, at the, my thinking was at the absolute worst case scenario here is the writing is bad, right? But the fundamentals are good and I can just fix the writing. Right. Uh, but fortunately, the writing was very good. And so I didn't have to. Yeah. So you, at least understanding how the car runs. Right. It might be an ugly car, but at least the yeah, engine will be yeah. good and stuff. That makes a ton well, this of is sense. Why, this is why. So, like, you know, we do a lot of like we do a lot of hiring. We work with lots of writers, you know, freelance writers for our games. And because we publish scenario based games. And so we just need, you know, we always need stuff. And this is why we almost exclusively get writers from within our community yeah. and we don't advertise outside of our community yep. because I want people who understand the game. We publish people who have never written anything before of any sort of creative type of writing, but the fact that they love my game and know how to run it and understand it yeah. means everything to me, right? That is like the most important thing. So you, so it, Jason reeks out to you, Alex, and says, why don't you write it? What's your first gut reaction? Hell yeah, I can do this. Or, oh my God, like what was. It was both, but mostly like, oh my God, what? I'm not a game designer. I've never written for a professional thing ever. Uh, are you sure? Uh, <laughs> and I mean, he told me like, you know, here's uh, here's your deadline. You know, he's yeah. like, can you get it done in like a month? And I'm like, I think so. I had never written anything for the system. I had never written anything, period. But I, I was like, okay, uh, well, at least the between is a game that has a really, really comprehensive appendices uh, yeah. about how to design scenarios for it, and as well as coming up with other like moves and things. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna write the adaptation of Exit Stage Death, and I was like, oh boy, I am a th- theater actor i can do this i think <laughs> and i think i can do it in time harder or easier than you thought so here's the thing at the time i would tell you the answer was harder than i thought now i will tell you it was easier than i thought because then i went to write for other games and realized just how stuck i really could get and the fact that i did make the king and shadows in that one month period uh that i blows my mind because I uh, when we talk about better. public access later, I didn't know any better. But also, like when I went, like when I later wrote stuff for public access, I got I was like stuck for like two months yeah. at one point. I was like, oh my god. Um, but no, I I I and I, I didn't really have a process. I still don't really think I have one. But I just kind of think of my fundamentals, and then I spew them at the page and think, here's a bunch of cool ideas and what sticks. And then usually what sticks I'll remove later because I'm like, that doesn't have any place near whatsoever. What my initial idea for uh, the King in Shadows threat was is not at all what it shaped out to be. Um, And I'm I'm glad for that, though, because uh, it really, you know, tell like there was a a period at the start when I first started writing and that, 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 you know, the, the first like two weeks, I was like, all right, the engine is going. I am on the I'm on the I'm on the tracks. I'm I am at full speed. Creative powers are engaged and I dipped like a couple weeks later. And then there was a a period where I was mostly like trying to fiddle around with the idea because this is a thing Jason and I talk about a lot, which is like there is for most of our ideas, there is that one central piece that when we find it, everything else falls into place. And I was my process. Yeah. yeah. I wait for that one. There's I'm just waiting on that one thing to fall into place. And when it does, it just it all it all 
flows at that point. So what's fascinating about that, uh, both Jason and Alex, is how common that is to the point where it's become a question in my normal repertoire, which is what was that last little bit that made it all come together? And it's funny how universal that is after talking to hundreds of game designers. Um, and what's interesting to me, too, Alex, um, and I want to know if this is true for you, is like there's a certain mystique about I'm a game. They, they, they design games. We just play them. And, you know, and all of these conversations that I've had, I've learned that the only difference is, is some people are doing it and some people aren't right. That if you want to be a writer, then guess what you need to start doing? You need to start writing. If you want to be a game designer, the only thing stopping you is you haven't designed a game yet. And granted, the first one might be, might be shit. The first, you know, scenario might make be garbage. But guess what? Now you are one. So now you've got the gold medal and now you can keep going. Or so, you might make a million dollars. So you never know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't know. You gotta just right. do it. You yeah, know? exactly. So having gotten that first one under your belt, Alex, it sounds like, again, you didn't know any better. You just did it. Has it, has there been like plateaus and, and, and level ups as you've gone up? So now having, you know, been a part of, designing for other games uh, through the gauntlet and, and, you know, going beyond just, you know, popping your cherry early on there. Do you feel like there has been multiple stages of leveling up or has it been kind of a straight line for you? Do you understand what I'm asking? I do. Yeah. Uh, that's a really great question. Um, I feel like it, it, it definitely hasn't been a straight line, but it, it, it I, 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 the plateaus. So here's, here's, a little bit of context is that when I did, when I finished King and Shadows, you know, I was like, oh, good, I finished it and I was proud of it. And I, I got some like great feedback before mm -hmm. I even submitted it. Um, and I was already, I wasn't somebody, somebody who was uh, like, you know, oh, I don't want to show anyone my work until it's done. I need to have it like my, no, I absolutely sought help from like two other people and being like, yeah. uh, can you like give me notes and ideas? And they, they were integral to me getting the thing delivered on time because they really got me out of that mire. Um, but once that was done and I was informed that I did a great job with it and then was later being asked to write for public access That's awesome. and, then, like, and, 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 and obviously other things were happening too, um, with, cause around that same time as King Shadows, we pitched, uh, uh me and my co-writer Megan Caldwell pitched uh, Moonlight Vale and got that bought and, and, and started developing that as our own project mm -hmm. um i've always been very collaborative and i always try to like maintain like the fact that i know i can get stuck pretty easily so i want to always like outsource and be like hey here's where my brain's at got any perspective for me um but once i started writing public access i was already like months in it of like okay i'm 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 writing for games now this is a thing <laughs> that i'm doing uh, this is this is this is weird um but seeing because public access was a new game and I had written one thing for a game. I knew well for one off situation. And then I was like, Hey, this is a new game entirely. Uh, it's a new setting entirely same system, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I love the touchstones. I love the, all these things. And I think what helped me and, and helped uh, as you, as you put it, like leveling up my game design um, and kind of like the, 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 the plateaus that I, and I kind of got from there was being able to step back from my own mind and look at what the other writers on public access were doing and talk about the system and like see what Jason had already like put down there for his, you know, idea of the setting. I could look at that and be like, 
oh, there are things here that I wouldn't even thought of. Like there are people are coming up with it was almost intimidating at times because I was like, oh, people are coming up with mechanics for their mysteries that yeah. I would never in a million years have thought to put like in mine. Uh, this is cool. Uh, also, I feel like I need to think more. Yep. But it, it, that I feel like I am such a learner by observation because I really like to see firm examples of something before I get into it. Yeah. A lot of my game design leveling up has been in the form of like knowing through osmosis you know of like oh i have have this experience of witnessing things that i am now more attuned to like mm -hmm. being out there with my ideas but i never allow myself i never yeah i never allow myself to get like comfortable right. with the idea of i've learned things i'm <laughs> always like i want to see more things yeah. <laughs> i want people to keep just feeding me content uh, so i can constantly see like new ideas um, when it comes to CFB game design specifically, the biggest level ups have absolutely been just like, I am now so fully comfortable with the format of yeah. like the template of like building something that I can generally punch out my ideas relatively quickly. I still stall out on like, I am such, I am a habitual editor, not a writer. I'm a habitual editor. I need to make sure a single sentence sounds perfect before I move on to the next one. That's always been my biggest issue. Uh, but Thankfully, the framework has helped me in this regard move past that a little bit um, beyond just the scope of CFB and like just general game design terms. Not that I've been designing for other non CFB games uh, quite yet, but I I think it just it's less of a writing thing and more of just a mindset thing. I agree. The fact that I, you know, I, 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 I have a different way of perceiving moments at the table and then also moments behind the keyboard when it comes to actually writing the scenario mm -hmm. that i really feel like more comfortable just kind of putting it out there you know well and giving yourself permission right which i think is can be another barrier for a lot of creators is this feeling like i need permission to do this and, and sometimes well, all, every time that permission has to come from yourself so guys my next guest first appeared on the show back in episode 166 jason cordova is the founder of the gauntlet he co-hosts the podcasts Fear of a Black Dragon and The Darkened Threshold. He, of course, created Brindlewood Bay, The Between and Public Access. Jason, it's good to have you back. Welcome back to the third floor. Uh, thank you for having me back, Craig. I'm very excited. So I, I have a big challenge here. I can't get Alex to open up and talk. So I just need some mm -hmm. advice. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, Alex. I'm just poking. That was great. Um, but Jason, I'm not going to put you through the same thing I put poor Alex through because you did that back in episode 166. We got a great origin story. For those listening, if you have not listened to Jason's first uh, interview, um, it got me uh to finally understand Brindlewood Bay, which everybody knows that we're running now on the channel. Um, so I guess what I want to ask you, Jason, is especially since the year that we've talked last, mm. um, tying to what we just discussed with Alex, is there is there a leveling up that has occurred for you in the last year or so where if we were to go back to Jason a year ago and look at what you're where you are now, what, what what's happened to you in this last year or so? For me, I think. Um, I don't know how much of a level up there's been in terms of like my game writing necessarily. Um, I, I have a, I have a sort of writing method that works for me and, and I stick to it and, um, and I know my mind well enough to not ever second guess. Sure. <laughs> I, just, I just, I just do the thing, you know? Um, I think where I've actually leveled up though, is I have gotten better at 
uh, sort of relinquishing control a little bit, right? Like that is something that I have always had a difficult time with um, because, you know, for the first 10 years of its life, you know, or eight, nine years of its life, you know, I, the gauntlet and me were synonymous, right? Like that's, there there was like no disentangling those two things. And, but I know that that can't always be the case, uh, both for just practical reasons, but also for my sanity, I have to be willing to sort of start to, um, to, to figure out like what comes next and what I have to do. And, in, and importantly, how do I have to prepare like the next generation of like gauntlet, like people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, as you well know, I envision a long future for the gauntlet, right? A long, big, fruitful future for the gauntlet. And um, so that's, I think that's probably been the biggest change. I had a business partner for a little while that did not work out, unfortunately. Um, and so it just kind of went back to being me. And so I had to really like rethink like what the future of the gauntlet means and how I have to kind of get things into place. And so and and that that trickles down to the writing and to all the other creative parts of it, but also to editorial, to logistics, to social media, to marketing, to all these other aspects of the business. Right. And I, I think in our community, it's no secret at all that, like, I have sort of taken on Alex to be like my protege in the gauntlet. Right. Like I I intend for Alex to to sort of you know, uh, to take over a lot of stuff, you know, and, and, and Alex is already taking over a lot of stuff, uh, that I was either previously doing myself or neglecting, um, <laughs> so one or the other, what, either I was doing it or it was getting neglected. Alex has taken some of those things over and, um, and I love it, uh, because Alex has, uh, you know, he has like all the qualities that I need, yep. right. Um, and that the business needs. And so, um, so that's I think that's been a big part of it for me. It's not been so much like my personal creative process, which I think has always been what it is. And I think it uh, not to say that I can't learn new tricks. I certainly right. can. Uh, but but I, you know, I created the system. And so and I created you know, the fundamentals. I, I own the fundamentals. And so I, I I have fun kind of like playing with those fundamentals and doing different things with them. See public access and the between and Brindlewood Bay and how they all kind of like, you know, talk to each other creatively and design wise. but. I think the more important change for me is just this idea of like, okay, you have got to start looking ahead and yeah. like, and not even just like bringing in help with like, you know, sort of like admin and like, you know, editorial stuff. Um, but also just like how we sort of structure our deals, right? Like we're doing now these, like we're basically doing like publishing partnerships, right? Right. So we have a partnership with um, the silt versus podcast and Gabriel Robinson to do the silt versus role-playing game. Um, I have a partnership with Alex and Meg for Moonlight Vale. Um, Ollie Jeffrey and I are doing Arkham Herald. Like, so we're, you know, we're, that's been a big change as well. Like it's, these are like kind of co-publications, right? Um, And so that's been my biggest change, like thinking about the business and how to, how to manage the business and where to take the business. I am, I think probably one of the things that sets me apart from most indie publishers, maybe, maybe not like the ones that are a little bit bigger than me, but like Mm -hmm. pretty much every other indie publisher smaller than me is, um, is I have a really long term vision for the gauntlet, right? Like I'm a very long term thinker. Like I'm looking, I mean, Alex and I are already preparing the games that are coming out late next year, right? Like we've got that mapped out, you know? So where does that come um, from, Jason? Where, so outside of this world, right? There's something about you that's a lot, cause you're right. It's a differentiator. Where does that come from? It comes from being a 
federal litigator for 10 years. <laughs> and when you're a federal litigator, especially doing uh, the kind of work I was doing, which was civil liberties work, you plan for the future. You play the long game. You might work on something that won't bear fruit until five years later, wow. 10 years later. You don't have the luxury of of like expecting immediate reward, right? Um, I mean, apart from just like your paycheck, like you don't have, you, you can't really expect like anything that's like, you know, like, like you're, you know, you're doing good work, but no one is going to remember you by the time that work pays yeah. off, right? Like, so you have, you have to like prepare yourself. I think, I think that's a big part of it. Um, certainly. Um, yeah, that's, that's gotta be the, the, that's, I think that's probably the main reason why, or the main reason why I, I am that kind of thinker, but also, um, I think another part of it as well is I'm really enjoying myself, oh, right? That's like great. I love what I do. So I love it. I get to run games four times a week with people who I love playing with and also just random people who I learned to love playing with. And I, I have created my business so that I get to maximally enjoy myself. Yeah. Right? So, so if you know what, like, I set little goals and we hit those goals and I love that for us. But at the end of the day, I love to just get up and run, play, run and play role playing games. And as long as I get to do that, uh, that gives me the satisfaction in the short term to keep going. You know? It's a very positive feedback loop there, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So was there a breaking point for you then, Jason? Was it a situation where there was a moment where you're like, you know, I, I can't keep doing this by myself. And were you forced? to start opening mm. things up a little bit or was that a goal or how did that play out? No, I wasn't forced to, I could certainly keep, um, I'm very lucky because like my fans and my community and my supporters, the people who've supported me and the gauntlet over the years, give me an incredibly luxurious amount of runway. Right. I mean, trophy was two years late and like, like no one cares, you know, like yeah. or at least no one says they do or no one's giving me hard, you know, guff about it. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of runway from like our followers and our fans and, and my friends, a lot of these people as well. And so I think I could probably go for years just sort of like doing things at my like kind of ad hoc pace you mm -hmm. know? <laughs> and, like, and like do it, you know, um, it was really more, uh, it was more just, honestly, a lot of it was just like, how do I, um, how do I like spread the love and the benefit a little bit? Right. Cause you know, Bridgewood Bay is massively successful. I mean, like it's officially a million dollar revenue game, right. Yeah. From all the different places revenue comes from. And uh, now obviously that's not profit, but it's still, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not nothing. Sure. And, um, and I suspect that the between and our other games are going to do really well whenever we kind of move them along in their little marketing process. And it's like, so, so part of it also is just like, you know, just for like, just for sake of like business maturity and for, you know, and for just like creating something healthy, like you have to like start getting people involved. You can't just keep being the only person, right? There's a lot of sexiness and fun in creating Ashcan versions of games and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about now though, Jason, on the surface doesn't seem nearly as fun. And, and I think that can be a barrier for a lot of creators that listen to the show right now where they're like, I love making games. I love making games. I hate marketing. I hate planning out. I hate business plans. Is there anything that we can tell them that that makes what that aspect a little bit sexier? Uh, do you want to do this full time? 
uh, yes, then you need to learn those things. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's no, there's no getting around it. Like, if you intend to do role-playing games as a, as a hobbyist, uh, if you want to be a gentleman or gentlewoman game designer where it's not your main job, it's just something you do because you love it. I love that for you. And anyone can do that at their own pace and you don't need marketing for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you intend to do it as your job because you need the money uh, and you want to create a business out of it, you must learn those things. There's just no getting around it in terms of like smoothing that out. Find a way to make play central to what you do. Interesting. Like I run games four times a week. Almost all those games end up end up on my YouTube channel. And all those games, you know, our most popular series, which is our current public access series, only has like four or five thousand viewers. It's not like some giant number. Right. But those people are watching the videos to learn how to run the games themselves. Right. And that leads to sales. So, like, that's something I do that is like something I enjoy, but it's also a really important marketing function. Right. Podcasts. I love making podcasts. It's like my second favorite thing to do after role playing games. And so that's something that I enjoy, but also serves a marketing purpose. Right. So you just have to kind of find those ways of incorporating the things that you love about the hobby into the things that you maybe don't love about the hobby, right. Or the industry, like the things you love about the hobby, work those into the things you don't love about the industry. And then that's how you, that's what equals success. I think. So guys, the insider insight series allows me to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and the methods for crafting their creation. That's what we're going to do with Alex and Jason. We get back from this break, we're going to talk about a game that is begging me to run, and that's public access. I'll be right back. Attention all floor heads, gather round. I have a quest for you. You can simultaneously show your love for the show and embark on rewarding adventures. Head over to drivethroughrpg.com, your one-stop shop for all things gaming. Whether you're looking for rule books, maps, art, or epic tales to enhance your gaming experience, it is that one-stop shop. Now, in the show notes, there's a unique affiliate link. Every one of your purchases directly supports Tabletop Talk if you use that link. It's like casting a powerful spell that helps us keep the podcast going strong. So next time you're itching for a new adventure, follow the affiliate link in our show notes or bookmark it now in your browser. It can be your portal to everything on DriveThruRPG. Now let's get back to the show, but please support the show by using that DriveThruRPG affiliate link next time you are shopping at the site. So the first time we had Jason on, the focus was definitely the between and Brenda Wood Bay. And I think there's a little like hint or tease about public access that was in that interview. So I have a feeling teased it briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was hinted at. So for those of you not familiar, I'm going to quickly give you a little blurb and then we're going to dig in. So public access is a tabletop role playing game about a group of people in 2004, the Deep Lake Latchkeys investigating strange mysteries in and around the Deep Lake in New Mexico. In the 80s and early 90s, Deep Lake was the home of a notorious public access television station called TV Odyssey, the history and the fate of which 
is the source of much speculation in certain corners of the internet because the station literally disappeared. As the Latchkeys conduct their investigations in Deep Lake, they become increasingly aware of the central role TV Odyssey plays in everything going on and must face whatever terrible truth lies at the heart of the infamous station. God damn it, Jason, you're really good at the hooks, man. It's really good. So um, in the same way we did with your other two games, I want to go back to the day before public access was anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I want to get a sense of when it first started to like tickle in the back of your head, like maybe this Brindlewood Bay system could move here. Okay, so how about 30 years before? Nice. Uh, would that be good? Uh, you, you get to sit through the story, listeners of of, of this podcast. I was um, going to ask early on if the last time you were on, you told him the story. I don't think I told the story so last you, time. You did, but did I, I want you oh, to I? tell it again. because it's, I always tell the story. It's, I can't it, well, it's, it's great, right? So it's yeah, critical yeah. for this especially. So yeah. please. Okay, well, so, okay, the story. Um, when I was... Did I tell this? I can't remember. Okay. Well, anyway, when I was like five years old, I, my parents uh, and I, and my aunt and uncle, uh, we were all uh, caravanning to California and we were moving there and my aunt and uncle are in one car and, and my parents and I are in the other car late at night going through New Mexico. In my memory, it's New Mexico. It might've been Arizona. I don't remember anymore, but I'm saying it's New Mexico. And honestly, I have filled in so many details that probably were not like <laughs> wasn't even the a case. car. But that's the beauty of it, though, right? It was yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of memory, right? Um, but we're driving in the middle of the night, and I happen to be awake, and my mom was driving our car, and we see this man, or I guess it was a man, so this person standing on the side of the road wearing a robe and a cowl, and they're just standing there not moving, staring, empty desert. And a little bit later, the cars pull off the road to get gas. And at the gas station, my aunt, who was driving their car and my mom start freaking out. They're so scared. (laughs) Like, did you see that? Did you see that? Oh my God. Did you see that? And I have been obsessed with that since I was five years old. I, I think about who that guy was on the side of the road every day. Mm Mm-hmm. And I want to know who he was. I want to know what was going on. And it may have been something completely innocuous. It might have been a Halloween decoration for all I know. But in my mind, it has sort of metastasized over the years to be this like really like it's it's this stand in for this other idea, which is what public access is. This idea that there is a world that was sort of promised Mm. in the 80s and 90s that wasn't real, right? You know, we got the satanic panic and all the horrible things that flowed from that, but there were no Satanists. Like, that was not a real thing, right? There were not satanic ritual abuse. It wasn't a thing. Um, We get all these, like, you know, there's all these, like, pop culture ideas, all these, like, movies, all these things that, like, I loved that I wanted to be real, And that's sort of what public access is. Public access says, what if all the scary, horrible shit that you remember or that you secondhand remember through vicariously through people of my generation? um, What if that was real? What if that stuff happened? What if it what if there was a place deep Lake, New Mexico, where that stuff was going on? And um, it also combines like sort of 
aesthetics and uh, sort of aesthetics of like analog horror and um, found footage horror and synth wave. And it's, it's, it's all vibes and it kind of puts it all together in this package that I call public access. And um, there were later influences as well. Like, you know, later on, you know, things like creepypasta stories would influence the design. Um, and then in 2014, I made a go at writing public access. Uh, there was a first draft version that this is before I had any intentions of being a game designer of any sort. I was just uh, I had this idea of like, I want to make Candle Cove the role playing game. You know, Candle Cove is this creepypasta story where a bunch of people are talking about this children's TV show that they remember watching on a public access TV station when they were kids. And the, the story is like the forum conversation and it's very scary. And I was like, I want to make the game of that. And so I made um, a rough version of what would become public access as it is today back then, like nearly 10 years ago. And that predates Brindlewood Bay. It predates absolutely. But yeah, the between but and everything. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And so um, that version of it was Okay, so if you're familiar with public access, there's a part of the game called the Odyssey Tapes where you have to where you sort of like you and the group watch one of these like creepy public access TV show tapes and you narrate sort of what's happening. The old version of the game was just that part of the game. Uh, You all sat around a table and you all sort of semi improvisationally narrated this TV show that you were had watched, so to speak, you know, that you, you you you. You'd all watched when you were kids and you're basically just trying to creep each other out. And um, uh, but that but it, that was kind of it, though. There was it was just basically like kind of guided, like sort of shared storytelling or whatever, you know, and um, it didn't go anywhere. Uh, I actually lost track of that version of the game. And my friend Ollie Jeffrey, who I'm writing Arkham Herald with, uh, he actually had a copy of it. Uh, he was like, I actually have my copy of that old version. <laughs> and he sent it to me and I was like, oh, yeah. And it was really fun to go back and look at this sort of like that nascent version of public access. Um, but uh, but but the idea stayed with me for years and I didn't know if it was ever going to like um, be a thing again. It's always been something I've been obsessed with uh, for because of all the different like sort of influences that kind of played into it um but then like we said earlier i had that piece that fell into place you know that piece that fell into place where i was like oh that's it that's how i can totally do this like this is how i can make the whole game and you know it took brenda wood bay in the between to exist for me to get there uh but i finally got you know it all kind of fit into place and then once it did i think i wrote the thing in like two weeks that's amazing yeah, and, and what's neat about it is we learned when in our first interview with you, Jason, that Brindlewood Bay solved the between, right? Which mm-hmm. I think was fascinating, right? That turns yeah. out that Brindlewood yeah. Bay was a result of a problem that existed in the between. Mm-hmm. Now we'll go back even further. And now mm-hmm. we've got two day, two games. And right. there's a game before that that predates it. So I'm trying to figure out where the frog leap happens. So Brindlewood Bay is Brindlewood Bay. The between is the between. All of these things are working. And there's this game in the back of your head. When does, how does it push itself forward and say, I belong here. This system will work for me. Um, Well, the really specific thing was figuring out how the Odyssey tapes were going to work uh, using the betweens uh, unseen mechanic. That was like the specific 
thing. And it, Alex and I have talked about this before. Alex, I can't even recall. Were there other things that we've talked about where I talked about how it all kind of slid yes, into place? Yes, I was just about to say, I, as an outsider, could, I knew the exact, I, I, I still recall this moment vividly. Because I'm was an old a, man, so <laughs> this is I'm, part, part of the reason why I've made Alex my 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 second in command at the gauntlet is because he has youth and vitality that I get to draw from and <laughs> you vampire you. vampire away including yeah, memory is, so this is a, this is a me. deeply parasitic relationship uh, <laughs> remind me Alex what is this so uh, yes so uh, from an outside perspective long before I was actually involved with any gauntlet things Jason posts a tweet one day saying like I have this I've had this idea for oh, yeah, years this. yeah mm-hmm. I've had this idea for years of this game about watching creepy tapes i'm too busy to do anything about it i you know it's it's not going to happen like for a while at least i just i got other things to focus on and i think it was like no more than like three days later it was really soon after he posted a tweet (laughs) saying i figured it out i'm working on it right now and then like Within a brief stint, the game was basically done. He figured out how the Odyssey tapes worked. Yeah, so, yeah. so let's put that in context. And Jason, just very briefly for those listening, they have to understand, I guess, where the Odyssey tapes fit in this. But let's talk yeah. about how that then led to you figuring it out. So can we talk about what the TV yeah. Odyssey tapes are? Yeah, let me. Well, that, that it'll kind of help to set, talk about the game and the I setting agree. and the details a little bit more in depth. So basically. You know, these characters, it's it's a real specific setting. It's 2004 in this fictional town in New Mexico, Deep Lake, in a fictional county called Degoya County. And the characters have come to Deep Lake. They, they all grew up there, but they left. And now they've come back as adults to explore the mystery or to investigate the mystery of this public access TV station, TV Odyssey, that disappeared, literally vanished. Um, and nobody can remember it. They mm-hmm. remember it, but nobody else remembers it. And so... That's but really what they're in the back of their minds, what they're doing is just getting together to like have a summer, you know, like just goofing off, you know, and 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 investigating the mystery of, you know, TV Odyssey. But connected to the mystery of TV Odyssey, there is the there are these mythic, almost Internet mythic uh, tapes called Odyssey tapes. And these tapes are episodes of the shows that aired on TV Odyssey and on Internet forums. These are like prized objects like if you have an odyssey tape it's like a big deal right and so the latchkeys are hoping that they might find a couple in new mexico in deep lake you know maybe we can find some and maybe we can get closer to figuring out what happened to to to, to that well when they get there they end up getting sidetracked by other mysteries it turns out there's tons of weird shit going on in degoya county and they get wrapped up in other mysteries and they make gradual progress on tv odyssey but really they start doing other mysteries but they never forget about tv odyssey and they occasionally find these odyssey tapes and one of the things that happens in the game is you have this phase where you can watch the tape and so the tape in game terms is a prompt it's like five paragraphs you know a little like four like a, an introduction four prompts basically like detailing the episode of the show and you go around the table and you narrate your part of it and you're narrating the you're narrating the tape, right? You're you're literally watching it in real time, right? And uh, it's creepy. The tapes are at a minimum very weird. They're often very scary, and um and quite uh, I mean really like legit terrifying yeah, like they're, they're concepts. Yeah, they're really <laughs> fucked up and terrifying. Um and uh thank you and um and uh and so 
I, I knew that that part of it, this sort of like analog horror idea, this found footage sort of idea that had to be that was the part I needed to figure out. Right. And so what I did was I basically figured out that, oh, my other game, The Between, has this mechanic called The Unseen, which is this guided uh, sort of narration where you where you talk about another part of the city of London and it's sort of out of character and it's just all about flavor and vibes and kind of creating some thematic connections in the world and stuff like that. And it's a really popular thing. People really love the unseen. And when I figured out, Oh, the unseen is how I do the odyssey tapes. I just repurposed the unseen to be <laughs> the odyssey tapes. That's when it all fell into place. So, yeah. So Alex, um, we see the tweet from Jason and then three days later, he creates an entire game. When does, when does it first come to your screen? So when do you first look at public access? Well, he'd already been sharing snippets of it in um, the gauntlet discord, like little, like, you know, bits of like, Oh, here are the various moves. Here's the character sheet details. And I was already like hooked because I'm someone who throughout uh, my entire life, I have loved horror and weird stories and i was a big creepypasta and internet legend guy mm -hmm. big found footage guy i was a early uh fan of the slender man uh <laughs> back when that first started doing the rounds big old marble hornets guy over here yeah. um and so i was already just into it because I, I so i was like, like following it with um you know very like devotedly because i'm like this is this is the game that i want to play right now because this is exactly uh i have never seen anything like this and so I was getting those snippets and then out of the blue one day, I get a message from Jason asking me, hey, would you like to write on public access? Uh, and I was like, oh, uh, yes, absolutely. Just tell me what I got to do. Um, and he basically just presented it as I, I have these ideas for mysteries. I don't have the time That's to make was. all yeah. of them myself. I already have these other writers doing their own thing, but I have this list of mysteries I really want in the game. Right. But I, I'm, and I'm definitely doing this one and this other one. Do you want to do one? And he also like, you know, asked, you know, my friend and co-writer Meg, uh, uh, do you also want to do some? And, and I, I looked at the list and I was like, uh, I really want to do this and this. And I, and I saw the little blurbs and pitches and I saw two that immediately I had ideas for. That immediately I wanted to start writing for because they were concepts that interested me. Uh, so well, it sounds I, like they were prompts in some way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very yeah much. I, I basically had like eight mystery ideas um, or something like that. Six or eight. I don't remember. And I, I knew the two that I was definitely going to write. It's like, I'm definitely writing these two. These are the two that I want to write. Uh, one, because one's the starter mystery. And then the other, just because I'm really committed to this one. But I love all these ideas. I don't have time to write it. And that's when I kind of reached out to other people. And um, Alex had done such a good job on King and Shadows. And, uh, and, and Meg is like a completely... <laughs> like fault free writer. Like I've never had to, I've never had to edit beyond like a word and a piece of punctuation. Oh, and awesome stuff. Like, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's and, infuriating. Yeah, yeah, like, 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 please make it look impossible, harder. It's impossible to find fault with whatever Meg does. And oh, that's great. Uh, I mean, I've hired her for like, like probably three or four gigs at this point. And, um, like easiest edits in the world. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, but no, so, so I knew I was like, okay. I, and, and I, and I particularly knew like how passionate Alex was about the, um, 
uh, about writing it. And I already at that time had an idea that I wanted Alex to be more involved in gauntlet stuff at a mm-hmm. deeper level. And so I was like, this is a great opportunity to get Alex involved into, um, you know, because I think everybody will benefit here. So. Yeah, no, it was out of the blue for me, uh, but it was certainly a, a, a welcome, uh, uh, like, you know, a, a task that was put before me because, uh, like I said, the setting, I was a big Welcome to Night Vale fan, like back when that was like, it's like it, originally when the first came out, I, I, I loved it even before the gauntlet, even before I was like learning about CFB games, I was already working on ideas for gaming adjacent things or even like media things that were very in in line with pub, what with what public access was this is before i ever even knew anything about this side of of the community i literally in college had like started writing a play called cascadia which was like it you know uh the uh, weird events that transpire <laughs> in the course of one night in the pacific northwest and i also yeah. was like loosely working on an, uh, an idea for a game that i was going to call radio mysterium this is before i could i wasn't really you know i wasn't a game designer but i always had ideas for like, possible like things. yeah it was like oxen free exactly it was inspired yeah. by like oxen free and, yeah. and um and uh uh welcome to night vale and then so already i was like the setting just like called to me and i was just like yes i want to give my voice into this so how much did you have to work with so we have we have you, you pick out a couple of mysteries from jason's list Two sentences per prompt. Right. And you have a general idea of the premise. Had you seen what he had written so far? Like, this is the game. This is the moves. Did we have a rough draft of public access? Like, where were we when this came to your desk? This is funny because Jason has told me this before. It was like (laughs) I got on at a really good time because he had basically written the entire game at that point, like the entire book. And the best entree of everybody. Yeah, yeah, I got the best because I walked into our little project group server and there were already a bunch of like drafts for other people's mysteries. There was also the completed like, you know, text of the book. And 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 as Jason has said to me verbatim, I think even on our podcast, the other people who were first there, they all they advantage. had to go off of was Jason weirdly ranting about the apocalypse and deserts. I was just, I just, just ranting in base camp. Yeah. Like Michael Van Vliet and Gable Robinson were the first two writers I brought onto the project and I had written nothing. And I was like, okay, guys, I've got all these ideas about the desert, about other other planes of existence about the apocalypse. I started going into how like, <laughs> like you, you have know, gaming Tourette's. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I was like, here's the thing guys. When I'm 75 years old, I want to wander into the desert and I want to die performing an exorcism on someone. That's my preferred death. He's not joking. I did go look back at the records of that <laughs> chat today. And that is a message in there. It's like, the, it's like the third one in. I was like, and furthermore, <laughs> and furthermore. And so and, and I was like, and you know what? I've always felt like deserts are really interesting places because it feels like that's where all the old things in the earth live, for example. And I was just, and I, it was just like rambling. Like it something? was all vibes and weirdness. It was yep. just Jason's like weird brain. And, I, and then it was like, okay, so right. Mysteries <laughs> inspired by that. <laughs> Like there was no other like, what a nightmare. nothing else to go on. Yeah. Had nothing else to go on. Yeah. Alex and Meg were very lucky because they had the actual game text more or less complete. But, so, yeah. so Jason, so in that moment though, when you, you handed some of this off, mm. there's, a, there's an interesting loop that may have happened there. And I want to understand if that was, so you just concept vibe vomit on, on them. Um, on Gabriel and Michael. Right. Yeah. And Gabriel, and Gabriel and Michael take it. They and yeah, and they, they, good. they mm-hmm. make they add their part. Mm-hmm. What came back to you from them? 
Yeah. So what came back to me um, from both of them is, well, really, it was interesting because from both of them, I actually they were actually part of the creative loop in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. because by the time I got their drafts, the game was not done. Uh, It was not written. But the structure, the mystery structure exists from the other games. And so they knew structurally what they had to do. They just didn't really know what the a lot of the sort of core premise of the game was yet, because I was still sort of figuring that out. But within their mysteries, they had embedded ideas that I hadn't considered Mm. and things that I hadn't I hadn't really considered as far as the setting goes. And that was like, oh, like what? I, I do need to be thinking about that. Right. Like like Gabriel's mysteries, for example, had lots of like. I was really focused on the town of Deep Lake, but his stuff was all about the desert, like the deep desert and the weirdness of the desert. And I was like, oh, yeah, the weirdness of the desert. Like, I have to make sure that's part of it. And then Michael's one of Michael's um, was about like it was basically like a satanic panic D&D thing where uh, there was like a secret D&D game. We are. Our D&D is called something different, but like it's a secret role playing game in town and kids are going missing. And I was like, yes, I was like, that's mazes and monsters. That's like, right. that's, that's the, that's the sort of nostalgia I want to be hitting. And so really, truly, like I was inspired by what they turned in and it, it helped, it helped like fill out the rest of the, of the game and, and, you know, from a sort of aesthetic and kind of inspirational standpoint. And so that was, that was part of it. Um, now, I would say that their drafts were probably because they were written so early. Mm-hmm. They were probably the ones that needed the most editorial once it was all done. Sure. Uh, but that's not their fault. That's just because they were going with limited information apart from just my, I mean, it's like pages of weird desert apocalypse <laughs> ranting. Yeah. It was really bizarre. And it was like in the middle of the night and I'm just like going off, going crazy. And and they're just like they're doing the the chat equivalent of nodding politely while I do this. So I'm going to check on Jason. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but but so, but no but 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 no but like I think what's really cool about the way that we create in the Gauntlet is it is this very um, it is very community oriented, right? Yeah. Like I mean, yeah, it's my game, my name's at the top of it, but public access more than any of the other games is really really very much like a kind of group mind project you know and i love it for that reason but that's because i think and i think we work that way because the gauntlet has always been kind of community focused right like that's always been our thing and um before we had any aspirations of it being a business it was it was about we we were doing like community oriented creativity years before that right like i mean with our old dungeon world podcast we were like having contests and we were doing all this kind of stuff and we were always promoting like, you know, individual creators, uh, you know, first time creators, creators with marginalized identities. Like we, we were always like trying to like, you know, do this type of creation and we've just got it really, really refined now at this point. Like now we, you know, we know how to get the best work from the best people within our spaces. And, um, it's great. Yeah. It's really very satisfying. Yeah. And and I don't want to minimize this at all because it, uh, that's very fascinating to me because there's obviously an understanding that has to be in place, Jason, mm-hmm. for what happened to happen, right? For you mm-hmm. to be able to just spew what you spewed and for them to understand the premise, mm-hmm. understand the system from Brindlewood Bay and from the between and, 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 and to have interacted with you enough 
to make some sense of that nonsense that you were spewing out at that mm-hmm. point. It really was nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> but that's a testament to the community, yeah. right? And that's yeah. a testament yeah. to them also as receivers right. in that process. That's different than than for Alex, though. So, Alex, you get something that's far more baked at this point. Um, you're given scenarios which you have written for games that you're familiar with, with this basic premise and system. As you go and look at what's come before you, you've picked your two items. What's next? So now I'm imagining a desk with papers splayed all over with the work of others. And you're like, now you do this. What do you do next? Well, the first thing I did, I I saw the I saw the ideas and I picked the two I wanted to do. The ones that like immediately most interested to me. And I saw like I I kind of I I gave the others a glimpse because I wanted to see what other people were already coming up with for this like nascent setting that was you know, being presented to me for the first time. And I had my two concepts and I already knew which one I was leaning towards first. So I was like, from from there, I was, I was just kind of like, okay, this thing needs to involve this. I'm going to go look around to see kind of what the others are already doing in terms of like where theirs are set, like what kind of locations they go to, what kind of characters they have because I want to make sure that nothing feels too repetitive because right. that's in, and also like you know briefly going back onto what was just being said about how this game was very collaborative compared to like uh, uh, the others this is a, a, a collective brainchild um, I think that also lends itself to this the, the setting lends itself to that because having a weird rural small town desert community with these pockets of strange things going on you get a lot of variety and a lot of like cool ideas brought to the table. So really the first thing I was doing was like, okay, what ideas are immediately sticking out to me just from my first impression of this? I'm going to put that on my page. Okay, that's that's bullet points, loose ideas. What are other people doing? Okay, this person's doing something with this. This person's doing something with this area. These characters are in have been mentioned before. Okay, I'm getting a, a kind of like a picture of the wider setting. And like a lot of my work that I've done thus far. And, you know, for me up at that, that, you know, th- that point, this was back at like towards the end of last year. I, I, uh, when I wrote the King and shadows, a lot of my design process for that was finding my inspirations. What are right. the things that are like turning the, or, or getting the hamster in my head to run on the wheel? Like what, like what pieces of music, what books, what things mm. are, what things feel like they're inspiring this idea that I can, you know, pull and steal from um so i started finding those those references so you know the first the first thing i wrote for public access was uh the whisper the mystery about the uh uh this little isolated uh uh single street with a cul-de-sac at the end of it neighborhood surrounded by an abandoned housing development well right off the bat um that wasn't you know the original pitch was just like you know the whisper there is this thing that is it's it's a voice that whispers people's secrets and it's like the twilight zone episode the monsters are due on maple street and i was like i was like the monsters are due on maple street that was my favorite episode of the twilight zone funnily enough i loved it and so i was like yes uh and already i was big into like suburban weird vibes like i've grown up in a suburban setting so i already kind of like had like that like I've never grown up in like a suburban desert, but I, I the, 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 that concept of suburbia, I was very, my, my direct inspirations for that one when I, when I sat down to write it was like, okay, I grew up in suburbia. I love 
neighborhoods like this. I love little tiny single street communities. And I think not at the time, but like earlier that year, I was working as a delivery driver. And one place I was constantly making deliveries to was this address in the middle of a housing development. So like I would go past like rows of upturned earth and construction, you know, cement frames and all these things. And as I went deeper in, it just became nicer and nicer and nicer to these like finished new homes that are barely inhabited. And I, and I like the idea of like, just what if there are just people living basically in the middle of nowhere, Mm. surrounded by an abandoned project, like, and, and no one acknowledges it. Like, it's just like, yep, this is our street that we live on. Here's this weird setting. So then I started to think, what are my other inspirations for? So like X-Files was a big one. Like, uh, like any, like what, that's the one that to me was like, this is an X-Files episode. Like, what is the, what do I see when Mulder and Scully show up on the street? What are like my visual touchstones? Um, and this is, this is actually a weird one. Um, like my, one of my biggest inspirations, and it, it doesn't really show too much in the final text. It was more just like background, like vibes. While I was writing it. There is a musician uh, named Will Wood. His, he used to uh, uh, he used to be in a band called Will Wood and the Tapeworms, but like his new music is just Will Wood. <laughs> what kind of band name is that? The best one, because uh, the Tapeworms, it's a pun. It's great. I love it. Uh, his music, I am the biggest fan of. Uh, I won't go too much on a rant about Will Wood on this podcast about our games and our podcast. That's but, amazing. Uh, he... Uh, I saw a YouTube comment. His music is wild. I highly recommend people listen to him because he never does the same thing twice. Uh, I saw a YouTube comment that had the single best description of his music. And someone said, Will Wood is the piano prodigy love child of Freddie Mercury and Hunter S. Thompson. That's, That's a pretty good descriptor. Yeah. yeah. I feel so like I know that, everything I need to know about that yeah, guy. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. We it's know great. him now. Yep. You know him now. Yeah. You're great. He put out an album called The Normal Album. And the first song on that, uh, it has this long uh, title, uh, which if I can recall off the top of my head is Suburbia Overture, Greetings from Mary Bell Township, uh, Vampire Culture, Love Me Normally. Um, and it is this like six minute song that's kind of done like that, like, like a little bit of like a doo-wop style. Um, and it's all about like suburban, like fetid, like rotten behind the scenes like There's so much material there decay yeah. yeah like there were absolutely things i pulled from that and that's you know so on a broader sense that's how i approached all of these different projects but the whisper was the big one because that's when i actually knocked out first and quickest because those ideas like stuck out to me what i love about that creative process that you've just described is it's it, you know you know it, for me especially because i write horror games that's all i write really is just horror genre stuff and it's all about like finding that thing that looks mundane on the surface, but then making it horror, like going one level deeper. Like why did this street, why is this the only one that got finished? How come none of the rest of the housing development got finished? You know what happened here? Okay, sure. I'm sure it's something mundane to do with funding, but what if it was something much worse right like what if it was something dark you know that's kind of asking those sort of like hypothetical questions of like what what could really be going on that's 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 my that's my driving through the desert with my family story right it's it's this like okay like 
I have this feeling. And now how do I take that? Fe- like, where did that feeling come from? And what can that like? How can I sort of translate this event mm-hmm. or this thing I know or this piece of media that inspires me? How can I make it horror? How can I find the scary part? How can I go that one level deeper? And I, I love that. I think it's so, so cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And like this is not super relevant, but I think it's fun to point out while I was talking about references. The Odyssey tape I wrote alongside for The Whisper. Uh, it's called uh, Neighborly Living uh, 03 Cooking for Your Community. It's basically just like a home improvement show nightmare. Um or it's you know like oh here's the you know uh the the housewife white extreme you forgot pure, the oh yeah, yeah. Right extreme. yeah here's the housewife character doing her cooking show um that was inspired by two very specific things uh one the scene in the um the new it movie not not part two the, the original one where they were kids um the scene with henry bowers killing his dad spoiler alert uh for a movie that came out in you know, what, a, a while ago, 30 years old, that's 30 years old. There's a, there's a television show playing and the woman on that television show. Yes. Like, she's like, mm-hmm. very good, Henry, kill him. You know, like that personality. And then here's the wild one. I found out when I was in college that my, one of my professors uh, had a public access television show as his drag persona. Oh, it's amazing. Um, and it was yeah in New York City. It was called the Breeny Maxwell Show, where it was exactly what this. It, it was a, it was like a a, a, a like a, a housewife kind of character doing mm-hmm. all these like home project kind of things. And I was just like, cool. Here's that aesthetic. One layer deeper. How do make I make it, this make it scary? Horrifying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, in Dallas, in Dallas, we had our Dallas public access station. We had a cooking show like that. It was called Cooking with Carol, and it might even still be on. I don't know. Um, but, but the great thing about that show is Carol would use the opportunity of her cooking show to clearly work out her anger with her kids and her husband. Right. Like, like she would, like, she would like, she was very clearly like angry at her husband or her kids on every episode. And she would kind of like work that in you could tell it was simmering you, you know came, you came for the recipes to stay for the trauma <laughs> yeah 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 and it became a thing like you would t- tune in because you were like you were so hooked on her like Isn't that some clear family drama that she's like working out on her cooking show but then what we do in public access is we just go that we add right. that layer of weird or that layer of scary like what's going on underneath the surface and um, that's what's fun about it so jason you create the prompt for the whisper yep throw it over the fence alex scoops it up adds a lot of his own parts right his own Mm -hmm. inspirations his own vibes and vibes is a big part of this game it's 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 75 percent vibes yeah right (laughs) and and, and he puts together his whisper and throws it back over to the fence into your backyard what happens when it lands so when i get it i have to now make sure that it swims along side everything else that's been turned in and everything that i've written so they have to all feel like they all belong and importantly they have to all feel like they were written by one person uh that's i feel like that's my major job at that stage of the editorial is to make the voice sound consistent between all the pieces now that usually ends up being my voice because i'm the one doing the editorial but Mm -hmm. but but ultimately it's important that they all feel like the same product like they weren't written by six different people right that was written by one person and that's actually you asked that question earlier how have i grown that's a major way i've grown in the last year is 
figuring that, getting better at that, you know? So I want to dig into that if I could, Jason, a little bit, and let's use the whisper as the example, right? So Jason throws that back over your first reading of it. There's stuff that you're like, this is right. This needs help and not help like Jason, like Alex did anything wrong, right? Like this, this, I need to mold to sound like the singular voice. Do you remember when you got that first version of the whisper back? What didn't need attention and what did? Uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, I would say it was about, it was about 95% good to be honest. I mean, there was, that didn't have to change too much, uh, to Alex's credit. Um, but I think the, the, the main things I had to change is, well, okay. So I added a couple of mechanical elements to the game that didn't exist <laughs> prior. And so I had to add those things in. Yeah. Um, and so I had to add a few little details that weren't there. Um, I usually, I, the thing I always end up kind of massaging the most is, um, my games have this, uh, you know, there's this like really, this, it's really important that the scenarios are like introduced properly and that they lead to the proper questions. Like there's a, there's a kind of mechanical uh, procedural component in the beginning of each mystery that has to be airtight. Like yeah. that cannot, it cannot get published if that is not sound because the players won't be able to play it properly. And so I always have to pretty much everything that gets turned into me. I have to I have to massage that a little bit. And then I think I probably played with the quotes a little bit, too. Alex might remember what exactly. But I I always usually kind of like zhuzh up the quotes of the side characters, um, because that's one really great way of making of making something have voice is dialogue and characters, you know, the way they're presented. And um, I find sometimes that the writers um you know some of the writers they do a really good job with it others they i think that they they focus their their creative writing aspects are more on like descriptive details mm-hmm. and the the character quotes and the sort of that kind of flavor doesn't isn't always so uh so vivid and so i take it upon myself to make sure it's very vivid um but no but the whisper was like 95% all good to be perfectly fair now this other mystery zagreus that had a we had to do a lot of work on that one um not because it was uh what alex turned in was bad it wasn't but it was it's far and away the most complex of the mysteries um it's the most complex uh structurally mechanically uh procedurally it's the most complex and so it was a big task to give it to alex to to do um fortunately that was the that was third on my list of the ones I wanted to write that I didn't have time to write. Uh, so I wanted to write that one. So I had lots of ideas going into it. And so um, we, I made a lot of additions and changes to Zagreus, but the core of what Alex turned in was, was, was quite good. And um, even, and even like entertained ideas that I hadn't even considered, which was really great. So, so you get Zagreus back from Alex, right? It needs, mm-hmm. it needs more work than the whisper did. It did. What is two things you could have told Alex that would have saved you a ton of time? Right. So looking <laughs> I know exactly it, what I know exactly what, because we had because Alex and I had this conversation. Like I actually helped Alex through his mental log jam because I said the thing that needed to get said, which was um, I think I specifically said, uh, oh, so Zagreus, just so you, the setup is important. Zagreus is it's inspired by the, the Polybius. Uh, sort of creepypasta urban legend, this idea of a video arcade game that is uh, like 
that's very evil. rare. It's evil and rare. And if you play it, you go crazy or whatever, you know? And so that's what Zagreus is inspired by. It's this, it's, it's a video, it's a video arcade game uh, that's, you know, it's connected to the underworld of death or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's that whole thing. Um, you, you play it and you become obsessed with death. That's the idea. Uh, so what basically like Alex was like in this, according to him, this two month, like kind of mental log jam of like what to do with this mystery, because <laughs> the idea is on its face. Cool. But it's like, what is the mystery? Like what right. are the latchkeys doing with this? Right. And I said the one literal thing that get, that moved the process along, which was uh, Alex was he was kind of stuck on, like, should they be able to find the video game cabinet? Mm. Like, is it like, where is it at? Like, when should that come into play? And I was like, just give it to him in the beginning. Like, just have Zagreus oh, wow. be like, it's just like it's just there at the start of the mystery. They have access to it right away. And like, that was like the one thing that like started the process, the creative process again. So sometimes that's it's as simple as that. Right. And thank goodness, because I'm notoriously not like a feedback guy. You know, I like to I like to just like trust the writers and the artists to do what they're going to do. And I even stuff that's amazing. You're still only going to get like two sentences from me of like, great job. What's your PayPal? Um, and so like uh so I was really happy that we were able to work through that so quickly. Um, this so, was a quick, easy solution. <laughs> I am a very anxious person, especially with new things that I'm being sure. given to do. Like as a first time game designer, really like, you know, relatively within a six month period, I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is everything yeah. is bad, like and freaking out. Then that comment nudged me in the right direction. And then I halted again. Uh, like but like the, but the, let's stop here for just a second right because this is a big deal from a creative standpoint alex right so your log jam right the dam is up you can't get water past it jason does a drive-by kicks one log and suddenly one literal sentence right like, this? And, and suddenly it makes <laughs> yep. sense so i want to go back to that moment though alex when mm. you're you're jammed up and he goes just give him the game yeah like what happens to you when that Splat that cold water hits your face. What do you what does that tell you? How do you go forward? Do you remember? Yeah. So here's the thing. I read the idea for Zagreus as the initial prompt. And I remember seeing Jason tweet about the idea for Zagreus even before then. So I was like, okay, what was that vision? Like, what was that original like snippet as well? Okay. And because I think even then mentioned like yeah, if they find the machine, they get to unlock a custom move where they get to play it. And I was thinking, okay, that's fun. Now, mm -hmm. when he says, what if they just have it from the get-go? I was like, yeah, what if they just have it from the get-go? That's really cool. Because then I'm like, oh, yeah, then I can do this setup in a real... Okay, well, that makes me know how to introduce this thing because... Originally, I was like, where's the intro? And I'm like, right. well, the intro is now, hey, the game is being showed off. You want to go play it? Um, that kicked things off. And like that began to like point me in the right direction with where I feel like the bones of, Z uh, of Zagreus were. Because mm -hmm. prior to that, it was a lot of information on the page. I was like, I have this was the one that was the hardest for me to write because, as Jason's already said, the most complex. But also because this is the one that felt the most important to mm. me. Because it's the one that felt the most like a creepy pasta story. The one that felt like it was something I would have loved reading about on r slash no sleep or, you know, uh, seen like videos about on YouTube, you know, back in the day. I was very invested in like wanting this one to feel the most like this is a horror story 
that's straight out of this time period. And that kicked things off because then I knew that, okay, we're going to play the game from the get go. How does that influence the mystery? How, like, where do things go from there? What is, because I, you know, I always want beyond, you know, beyond the introduction, which is like the introduction to the mystery. That's the second most important thing is how does the investigation of the mystery keep feeding back into the overall like gameplay loop of all the things that are happening? That's like the most, you know, second most important thing for sure, because now they can play the game. Great idea. What does that mean for them? Yeah. So that was like, that's where I kicked off from. Yeah. It was absolutely the most challenging mystery to write. I mean, like, because, because we, I, I had not just like given Alex the task of just writing a mystery scenario, which is, you know, which uh, Brindlewood Bay style scenarios are, are, I think, generally pretty easy to write because they're so modular, Agreed. right? You just kind of write in pieces. Um, this one like entertained and implied the existence of lots of extra rules, right? Yeah. Like the characters are going to play a video game that has to mean something in the mechanics and the gameplay, right? You can't, it, you can't just say, I mean, you could just say, okay, you played the video game. It was fun. No, it, it has, to, you have to make it special. Like you could, they're going to play Zagreus. So that has right. to mean something at a game level. Right. And so it was absolutely the most challenging one to write for that reason. And, you know, ultimately we, we kind of got there together what it needed to look like. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a fun challenge though. Yeah. Uh, real quick though. So looking back on it for the two of you, right. And this mm-hmm. is going to get back into a theme you just talked about earlier, Jason and Alex, which is you guys are battling over this. Alex takes a first swipe. It goes to you, Jason, you throw a, a new idea that gives Alex a new perspective. We already, mm-hmm. he hinted at, meeting another log jam what was the one piece that ended it right what was the one piece that brought it all together it sounds like for the two of you well mm. for me uh the biggest issue i was having were the questions still like because the questions that you, you know you need to get clues to answer like because that's the hardest part of, of writing any scenario for these games is the questions is like what the are questions, they, yeah. they need to be thematically appropriate for me the the uh, the the big the big original hurdle there was like okay what does it mean how how do we resolve this what is the solution what is the mystery because like the mystery itself is like yeah there's these disappearances from the 80s there's this evil arcade cabinet what is the thing that will end this like what are we doing here Mm. and i was already having ideas for like the the video game mechanics of like what the move looked like and I was stuck. I was two months over the original deadline, like stuck Damn. with ideas because I'm like, I don't know what I want to do here. So once again, bringing the genius of our friend Meg into the mix here, <laughs> I get her into a call and, we, and I'm like, here's Zagreus. Here are my ideas. Let me rant at you for an hour and you can tell me. If you think I'm missing anything, if like if there's something obvious that like it was my like, you know, always sunny Pepe Sylvia moment of my like clue board behind me, the string being like, is there something going on here, Meg? Yeah. And I, I ranted at her and she just kind of like politely nodded <laughs> and listened and was ultimately she said, what if you lean into the myth of Orpheus? And I'm like, what do you mean by that? She's like the idea of like a descent into the underworld because you're leaning a little bit in like the idea of. You know, the game is about escaping from the underworld because also it was inspired by Hades, the name Zagreus and all that. Um, and that immediately gave me one question, which was, oh, now I know how to give them the move as opposed to just from from the get go. <laughs> now I know that, OK, now there's a question that unlocks that custom move. 
because there's a secret hidden game within the game. So yeah. that was like, okay, the idea of like, oh, there's a descent involved. Oh, okay. So it's like that gave me the idea for the cabinet. Then for the mystery resolution, the idea of the Orpheus myth, I really sat with that because I wanted there to be this like under thing. I wanted it to feel like there was just a a sense of like sorrow and like somberness beneath the whole wow. mystery in addition to like the evil of of the of the of this arcade cabinet. I wanted there to be a feeling of loss. And I remember specifically I sat with that for a while because I, the mystery deals with, you know, missing kids, it deals with current obsession, it deals with just just sadness and things like that very dark themes and i thought about it and it clicked for me finally once she had said that to me and i sat with it the idea of the best creepy pastas the best internet horror stories i've ever read are the ones that end on a note that don't make me feel good you know it's <laughs> like that i i i the journey to get to this ending hurt That's me so in a deep way and that was finally where I got the actual mystery from. Oh, which is cool. Because I, as far as I know, this is the only mystery in any CFB game that has the is the most complex to solve because it does not have it's like a CFB mystery either has like, here's a resolution question out the gate or here's a question you need to answer before you can resolve it. Mine is like for Zagreus. The questions you get, neither of them go any direction for solving the mystery, but like you have to play the entire play the game, game first yeah. oh, because cool. the final question that you unlock, the only one that lets you resolve things are what is the awful truth of the Zagreus disappearances and the resolution. I thought about it for a while. I'm like, what, like, what is, how does this resolve? And I felt like the one that was the most impactful, the most in keeping with that, like, um, it's like somber theme and just the idea of this. This should feel like heavy or like it sits in your gut. It's just you resolve the mystery by posting about it online. You you are going to just here's you 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 found the answer. You don't get to save the day. You don't get to save oh, the day. There's so nothing good. to there's nothing yeah. to happen. And literally, you now make a creepy pasta. You go tell the internet what oh, happened cool. to you and what yep. you found out. Yeah, there's no the resolution is really great because it's it's you don't get to rescue the kids that went missing back in the eighties. You don't get to like you, the, the most you can do is just like, like, well, I kind of figured out what's going on here. You add to it, right? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you add to the mystique. And, but I think what's so great about that whole process though, is like the challenge of, of that particular mystery was always going to be, how do we incorporate the playing of the video game into yeah. this mystery system and like how do we make that part of the solution i mm. had no idea and um and i think and i think that the descent of orpheus is such a great like way of like kind of like sort of uh contextualizing like how, how to think about it you know and and so now when you when you do it you play the you, you quote unquote play the game it's a series of moves and narrative prompts and um and you descend and then you get to the bottom and you learn, you get to the last level, you learn what really happened, and then that's it. You just learned what happened. Yeah, like writing, cool. writing yeah. the mechanic for it was interesting because I wanted it to be like fun, but also not like not too heavy. So it ended up just, you know, it's mostly narrative prompts of like, yeah. okay, here's the scriptures. And then, but then I was like, okay, but like kids went missing while playing this. So mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that the move felt dangerous, which I believe is just like 
there's like a bunch of levels, but each level you complete adds like a penalty to your role. Yeah, it gets, so gets harder like, and harder. It gets level, harder. Like it feels like you're playing a video game. Like That's every cool. every level gets tougher and yeah, and more bizarre and yeah. But here's yeah. the big thing that ultimately at the end of the day with with designing this thing, I actually. I got everything on paper that I felt like I could do. And I still did not feel like I, 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 unlike, you know, the whisper, unlike the King and shadows, I was like, here's my first draft. I feel pretty good about it. I literally delivered it to Jason being like, I have deliberated over this to death. I have gone over this a hundred times. I have no more ideas (laughs) in my head. If I look at this further, I'll make it worse. Take it and tell me what needs fixing. He took it and, and, and thankfully and a lot. Did it. <laughs> he, he yeah. did it. Thankfully. Yeah. And then he but like he added a couple of tweaks to the overall like structure, but like it 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 was not like I was expecting this huge facelift. It wasn't dramatic. It was yeah. it was like, um, it was, my, yeah. my favorite Jason inclusion to that though is that um he added to the video game prompts uh paint the screen questions. Oh god. How <laughs> obvious is that now? You said it out loud. <laughs> but it's great though, because like you because basically you're it's it's a way of like capturing what the video game yep. looks like, right? It's like what does the what does it look like to play this game? Oh, you know, so good. We, we we used every part of the car from Brindlewood animal to make a scenario where the main thrust of it is playing a video game, oh, right? Cool. Like, I mean, and and I think that's what's really great about public access as a general matter. Public access does things that no other role-playing game has done and i love that about it right like there is no other role-playing game that does these analog horror tape you know that's 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 not a thing that exists in role-playing as i'm aware of no and i love that about it like it even even i created the game and i've and i played it and i still feel like i'm doing something different here i'm doing something that has not that i've never done and i've played i've been in this hobby for decades and i'm that's a cool feeling so cool so there's a couple comments that i have here um one it took me a while to get brindlewood jason but once i got it i was all in and and i I figured it out now that i've run it it's even more amplified and the level of innovation that's in that's that's happening right now i have not seen i have not seen since blades in the dark in my research Um, and and for me, that's a huge compliment because, because of how much I think about Forge in the Dark, right? I am such a fanboy of the between and especially Brindlewood Bay. Hmm. I think public access is the eclipse of the two of them. Interesting. I think public access is the biggest deal and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think, Alex and I think so too. Yeah, I think, I think there's <laughs> shit going on here, guys. Yeah, yeah. That's a really big deal from an originality standpoint. This yeah. is a premise that you go, well, this had to have been done before. Mm-hmm. And you go look and you go, no, it hasn't. It hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the, the way that all of you as a collective have bent car from Brindlewood system. And I'll argue matured it with inside of the confines of public access is also a very, very big deal. And it's, it's a very exciting game. It's a very, very exciting game. And there's a structure that you built around it that I think is a real big deal. Before we go to break, I want to talk about a couple things. One, uh, first, the YouTube channel. It's an incredible resource for those of you that have any interest in this system. Because much like what I try to do, Jason does much better, which is not only show you the game being played, but to show you how to run the game, which mm-hmm. is 
I think the real secret sauce to to actual plays, right? That's why I watch actual plays is I find a game. I'm like, that's cool. How do people play it? Jason does an incredible job of it. Alex does as well, often in the player seat, um, which, which channel, really, yeah. Kind of, yeah, which pushes it right. And, and you have that balance. The other thing, and this is really, which, so I read public access. I'm like, I got to get Jason back on the, uh, on the show. Right. And then I started listening to the dark and threshold. And that's where I was like, now I got to get Alex on too, <laughs> because the dark and threshold, I think is a very special podcast because you guys do what I love is you guys lift the hood and you talk about the game game and you talk about how to run the game. You talk about the challenges the GMs have as they dive into this game. You, you talk about like, this is not how you do it. This is, the development process that goes through it. So for those of you that are listening right now that enjoy my angle on game design, that is all the dark and threshold is. And it's less than a dozen episodes right now. And it's one of my all time favorite podcasts. And if you never run a car from Brittlewood game, you are going to be a better GM by listening yep. to the dark and threshold. So you got to put that on your list. It is excellent. In the same way, the fear of a black dragon teaches you how to run games. Even if you never run old, OSR games. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get to the favorite segment um, that's relative new, which is what are creators consuming? We'll be right back. Are you enjoying our long form interviews with creatives on this podcast? Maybe you're craving deeper discussions about our guests or some of the RPG plays on our Twitch and YouTube channel. Well, I've got an opportunity for you. You see, Third Floor Wars now has a Patreon-only Discord server. You can join a vibrant community of like-minded enthusiasts diving deep into every episode of our RPG plays and podcast, connect with fans, engage in spirited discussions, and unlock the behind-the-scenes insights. For just a dollar a month, access a world of tabletop gaming goodness. Connect with passionate gamers who share your love for the Tabletop Podcast and everything produced on the third floor. As a Patreon supporter, you also enjoy ad-free episodes of this podcast. You can immerse yourselves in captivating stories and fascinating interviews without interruptions, taking your listening experience to a whole new level. By joining the Third Floor Wars Patreon community, you not only gain exclusive access to the Patreon-only Discord server, but you also support the growth of my podcast and channels. Your contributions enable me to continue creating high-quality content that entertains, educates, and upskills tabletop enthusiasts like yourself. Maybe don't wait. Join the Third Floor Wars Patreon today and unlock a world of camaraderie, discussions, and knowledge. Visit patreon.com forward slash third floor wars or check the link in the show notes and come join our community. The Third Floor Wars Patreon-only Discord server awaits you. I and the other patrons can't wait to welcome you with open arms and a fistful of dice.
so I'm a little mad at the two of you because um, I'm convinced in my world of fiction that the two of you listen to my podcast religiously and then said, you know what, we're going to create this darkened threshold. Let's steal from Craig his segment <laughs> at the end and let's talk about media, right? Which is not what happened. But in my fiction, that's exactly what happened. Another thing I love about the darkened threshold is at the end where the two of you basically turn each other on by saying, this is what I've been digging. This is this is you know what I've been digging. And I've added that to my interviews as well as an entire segment now because it's incredibly insightful to learn for people who are making things, what is influencing them. So that's what I'd like to do. And we'll start with you, Alex. Is there anything recently that has gotten your hooks into you the way that carved and brittle wood has gotten its hooks into me where I can't stop freaking thinking about it? Is there, is there a book, a show, a movie that just won't let go that is, kind of taking your life over in a little in, a, in an inappropriate way. There's always something, Craig, always <laughs> every day of my life. There's something that I'm obsessed over. Yeah, 100 percent. I have a few things that I within the last week have deep hooks in me and I'll happily talk about them for a Please. second. Um, I recently played through the game Signalis, um, which is a survival horror game came out in October of last year. And it uh, is video game? survival. Yeah. So yeah, video game. Yeah. Um, survival horror video game. Um, I think it was made by like two people. It's like it's very in the spirit of like um, like uh, like like original Resident Evil, less of like, you know, like um, the fixed camera from different angles. It's more like isometric view, but very much that like, you know, you're you're picking up items and slots and very classic Resident Evil, um, very cosmic horror oriented. It has a lot to do with like the King in Yellow, which I'm a big fan of because of, of I, I, I wrote the King in Shadows and that was huge King in Yellow vibes. But um, yeah, I played through that. It was very somber, very fun, uh, a really, really good gameplay. So that's that, that survival horror like stuck with me. Like that's a, that's a game I really enjoyed. But 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 why, Alex? What what was different? Right. That's not the only survival horror game you bought on Steam for three bucks and then played for five minutes and throw away. Right. This one this one got its hooks into you. And I want to understand why vibes. I mean, honestly, the vibes alone, like it's a sci fi setting. Um, it, there's a lot that's left to interpretation, uh, but mm. honestly, just like the, from the, from the jump, it's like there is a vibe that I was into. Like I I I I started thinking, and I don't want to spoil too much for anyone who might start it, but like I, I really just like got into it. I was in the vibes, the music I was really into, the gameplay felt solid, and it was one of those survival horror games that was like I never felt frustrated. I was mm. kind of just generally unsettled the entire time, that's and a hard balance. left. There's a uh, there's a twist in the game that uh, I'm not going to spoil, but if it hadn't pulled that twist, I would not be recommending the game. Interesting. Uh, I would be like, well, that was crap. <laughs> and then, dunk, just put it in the bin. <laughs> um, so that game has got its teeth in me right now. Nice. Well, it had its teeth in me right now. A couple other things I'll just throw out there. I um, uh, recently played the uh, first session of the Die RPG by uh, Kieran Gillen. Um, because I was a huge fan of the comic. I played the tabletop game last night, or ran, I should say. I'm having a blast with it. Um, and it's not gonna be everyone's cup of tea, but like I like, man, if you like paint the scene questions, this game is like that first session is it's three hours of asking those, and it's yeah. great. Um, and I had a great time with that. So that has its hooks in me because it's very much about digging into like the characters and like peeling back layers, and the prep is so easy because you know the characters so well from the jump. That's a very fun game. And then the premise is great, right? Born from the comic book. 
How, how does it feel mechanically for you, though, Alex? Feels fine, honestly, Good. because like I feel like the mechanics are secondary to like what the game is doing, which right. is like. Putting the mirror back on the character and be like, this is who you are. Let's have I, the uh, I do think it's worth pointing out that Kieran has been a member of the gauntlet for years and that the his sensibilities in role playing games and design come from us uh, as well as Rowan Rook and Descartes. But I just want to throw that out there. I think it's worth pointing out. (laughs) Well, and then you then you salt Grant over the top of that and you're only going to be guaranteed. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. I mean, I I, honestly I think if like we if our publishing like apparatus had been further along, we probably could have published I. Right. Like I I kind of, you know, but it wasn't timing wasn't quite right. Yeah, yeah. I uh, on the mechanic side of that, I'll, I'll speak relatively briefly uh because i could keep ranting about it but uh i feel like and i can't say this you know objectively this is what i've just my my observation has been is that the people who have thus far not been into the game don't quite understand what the game is doing because like the mechanics aren't i wouldn't like the the actual like you know rolling the dice character sheet mechanics they're perfectly fine like yeah. i they like and it feels fine it's fun to play but that's not the point of the game you know it's like those things are a backbone to the real meat of everything that's going on because like all the I gotta tell you what because one of my favorite little details is that if you're doing it in the intended format which is the two to four session rituals campaign it's like you're going to create these characters in like the first chunk of this first session step away from the table come back to the table in character and role play these people making their character sheets in like, you know, it, that was a big deal. And and that, that, that felt huge at the table. And then when it came time to actually like, you know, go into the goth Jumanji element and get sucked into the world. And now they are doing their mechanics. The mechanics don't, aren't this huge impactful thing because all they're doing is supporting the narrative. Right. Um, So I think it was really good. Uh, So real quick on die. So my, I was, I knew nothing about the comic at all. And being a fanboy of Grant, that's how the die Kickstarter came to my attention. I'm a huge comic book fan, but I'm I'm retired. I just don't stay on top of things. So because I love Grant's work, that that brought me to die. Uh, read it. I'm like, holy shit. What a great freaking premise. Right. Back to Kickstarter. Get the materials. I started reading the book and I went, I need to stop. I've got to go buy this comic. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I went and got source material. Because I'm with you, Alex. I think that's important. And now that I'm reading the source material and coming back to the game, I'm like, now I effing get it. Yeah, I've seen some criticism uh, lately online of people like uh, criticizing. I mean, they're criticizing a bunch of things, but the thing I'm specifically going to talk about is like the idea that the GM uh, 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 chooses who is going to play the this game's version of classes. Be it like I think some people criticize that, and I get it. I get like why they're criticizing it's the fourth it. page of the comic. It's the fourth page of the comic. <laughs> it's like if you read the comic, and, and usually following the criticism, I see now I haven't read the comic, but I'm like, well, it's but like, but even but even like the rule book says like your players are welcome to specifically tell you that they would prefer to play one or the other, and you can factor that. But it's more about like the in character weight of like, well, and also just like the knowledge. You answered a bunch of these questions. I know your character because like the point is not what do they want to play? It's which one are they that we're going to like, you know, which one will shine the mirror back on them? Which which class emphasizes this person's life and and like and is all about them. So that's that I'm really a big fan of the die RPG. I'm probably going to start running a few campaigns of it. I'm very excited. The last recommendation I have 
because if I keep giving you recommendations, we'll be here all night. Um, is and I and uh, uh, a quick fun tangent, I will say. I pride myself on the Dark and Threshold podcast. 90% of the things I recommend at the end of show, Jason comes back in a few weeks saying like, by the way, I completely devoured that whole thing you recommended to me. But I never, no, I never remember you recommended it. Yeah, though. you never do. <laughs> you never do. You're like, like you're, like, okay, like I recommend, oh, watch uh, 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 The Last Kingdom, the Viking TV show. I'm like, like, okay, I, cool. watched, I, I listened to this thing. It was so cool. He's like, yeah, I recommended that on the Dark and Threshold. I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> so so you, you guys are, are batting a thousand right now on books. Every book you've mentioned in the less than dozen an episode you've done i have bought and i've read i'm like oh, you sons of bitches yeah. you can't yeah. you, this, this yeah. podcast is gonna get expensive i'm a voracious reader so yeah i mm-hmm. like to read but i never know what to read so thankfully mm-hmm. i have jason to recommend yeah. books to me yeah the recommendations reader. have been mm-hmm. great and, the, and and the movie recommendations have been fantastic as well all right so last recommendation Alex. last recommendation for me is you can look this up you can play it for yourself if you want to indulge in the video game aspect but you could just watch a, a video about it in fact, I will recommend a specific video that I watched. That I thought it, it's by a YouTuber called Power Pack, P-A-K. It is a thing called myhouse.wad.wad. Now, I'm not uh, by the looks on your faces, neither of you know what this <laughs> is. This, no. <laughs> I'm going to give you the single sentence snapshot, and then I'll happily explain a little bit more. House of Leaves as a 1990s Doom game mod. Okay. That's intriguing. It is. It's a good yeah, pitch. Good pitch. <laughs> so, myhouse.wad is a fan-made, um, like, mod for, I think it's one of the original Doom games. It might be Doom 2. I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's original Doom. It's one of, the, one of those. And it is presented. It, it, no one knows who wrote. No one knows who made this. The, the, the creator like he's not talking about public access that no, we're talking like, about no, recommendations no no no, no. <laughs> bear with me for a moment no one knows who made this <laughs> this sounds like a premise for a mystery are you serious like no one knows who made it the person who posted it on the forum their account for the last like several months has been completely in character like Unbelievable. They, wow. there is no name attached to this like we don't know who made it and so like the thing is, like, it, it was it was a forum user who was active back in like 2006. They dropped off, and then like this past year, start posting infrequently. But it's all in character about how they've been having trouble sleeping, and then they lost someone in their life. Oh, My house wad is a Doom mod that was presented as like, hey, uh, I had a friend, a very close friend, who died last year, and uh, and it was very tragic. And I, I got some of his stuff from his family, oh, and he made. Um, he had been working on this Doom mod. He loved making Doom mods. So he made this Doom mod of just his house. He just made his house in Doom. And that's all, and that's, and he's like, yep, so here's a, here's his, here's the level, myhouse.wad. Um, so you can play it. And um, I wouldn't call these spoilers, because I especially recommend if you watch the Power Pack video, like that breaks down the entire thing. Um, this is one of the scariest fucking things I've ever seen. Isn't wow. that something? It's I, some of the yeah. best horror content I've ever seen. I gotta Literally, see this. it is, it is a, you, you get in there, it's like, yep, here is, this dude created his house in Doom, like it's just like in the oh, yeah, oh demons. Okay, it's cute, it's a cool little mod. And then two things are apparent to you right out of the gate. Or actually, one big thing, if you know anything about Doom mods, I didn't, so I'm happy to point this out, is that the layout of the house is impossible because in Doom, the way that those level editors work is you can't have rooms on top of rooms. Cannot. Yes, yes, yeah. you know this. Yes. Yeah. So because it's all the le- the levels are designed on a 2D format that are then you brought can to 3D. Fake it and you give the impression, it. but you can't literally have one room on top of another. Right out of the gate, the house has 
like here's this kitchen and there is a room directly under the kitchen and you won't even perceive that unless you like you know so like there are some very clever teleportation secrets happening here it is it it is it is if i recall correctly the file size for this mod is larger than like both doom one and doom two combined so it's like already you know like this is why is this so huge but anyway yeah so the whole thing is presented just ostensibly as here's this mod but if you get in there there's a lot that's weird and not adding up and then supplementally the author posted a link to a google drive folder which includes journal entries which are like dream logs but also like it's this thing is a completely inspired by house of leaves to the point it actually includes a section from house of leaves in there for anyone who's familiar is with house of leaves something? the navidson record there is a specific uh, part of like it's like the seven minute hallway uh which is like this long impossible dark hallway and then some dude ends up exploring it and it's this whole like laid out thing they literally put that entire section in the game as oh, an easter cool. egg where you can just if you do some weird thing you can do that it's just pitch blackness completely unsettling i don't even know where to begin explaining this mod beyond just this initial <laughs> premise of it then begins to fuck with you so much here's a fun fact for no reason every 10 minutes the game is programmed to make a discord alert sound isn't that something just to mess with just you to f with just you. so you think so you'll tab up like oh do i have discord open no uh, isn't that funny weird i highly recommend watch the video on myhouse.wad by power pack it's crazy so a couple things here real quick one this is why i love the darkened threshold <laughs> because this is the type of stuff we find out and i'm just gonna put a little salt on this and some people listening may know this some people may not but i think it's the second or third level in doom one is sandy peterson's house um so mm. sandy peterson called cthulhu sandy mm-hmm. peterson was actually very much involved in the in a lot of the design of Doom One, Doom Two, as well as right, I think yeah. it was Age of Empire, if I remember yeah. correctly. But if you go to like the second or third level of Doom One, it's literally Sandy Peterson's house. So I wonder if there's that layer in here as well, right? There's a lot going on. I, yeah, it's crazy. Highly recommended. Uh, there's so much. I'm not even scratching the surface. Like, oh, it, that's it, so it is, what, dude, what a great hook. That was good. just we, go watch this hour and 42 minute video. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. All right. So what has gotten its hooks into you, Jason? OK, so I'm I'm a I'm a reader. I'm a voracious reader. And on Darkened Threshold, I usually do the book recommendations. And I've got a, one here as well. Um, I have lately been obsessed with the horror books of Grady Hendrix. Um, your listeners might know who Grady Hendrix is, but Grady Hendrix is a writer from, I believe he's from Charleston. All of his books are set in Charleston or most of them are. Uh, and he, he just does what I love in horror, which is he combines humor mm. with the scares and he does it in a really cool way. He, he combines really cool, like visual elements. Uh, we recommended one of his books on the show, uh, horror store, which is like the Ikea, the haunted Ikea. Uh, story. It was the most recent episode. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I oh, bought okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's, and, and horror store is like, eh, that's actually not his best book, but, um, but it's, it's still, it's a quick read. So it's mm-hmm. worth doing. Uh, but the one I'm going to recommend, which I finished uh, a couple weeks ago is called the Southern book clubs guide to slaying vampires and love it. So good. Um, he does this thing, which should be really, which you'll see why it appeals to me because of Brenda Wood Bay. Um, he does this thing where like he takes 
like women, especially who are like in like really ordinary circumstances, like a book club in Charleston and then puts them in like a horror circumstance, right? Like he takes this normal, ordinary group of sort of suburban Southern women and puts them in a scary situation. And I love it. And, um, he, he just has such a great voice. He's so funny, um, but also scary. And, uh, and so it's just, it's great. Really, really highly recommend that one. So real quick on that, Jason, I want to ask you a couple things. One, um, part of the reason that I love horror and sci-fi and fantasy as well Mm. is it's every story is about now, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd be curious for this author that's speaking to you and being very specific about finding female protagonists. Do you get a sense of what it's telling us about now? Is there, is, is there an underlying premise here that's, that's being extrapolated out in this horror story? Does that make sense? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think, you know, what, when a lot of people talk about the horror genre in general, they always want to like connect it up with like, what is, you know, what, what's, what's the zeitgeist here that it's right. tapping into. Right. I don't know if that's so much the deal with Grady Hendrix as much as it. Um, and I don't even know if I personally care about that part of the horror Fair. genre so much personally. Um, it doesn't affect my enjoyment in any case. Um, I think for me, I think what maybe Grady Hendrix and I share in common is we like for our horror to have um, a a, a nostalgic reference Mm. or an entry point or something that kind of, I I call it inviting you into the horror. Right. And he's very, very good at that. I mean, and I think in that sense, he's a really great horror author for this moment and our time right now, because I think there are a lot of people, especially younger generations who didn't have the same entries into the genre like a lot of us older people do um and they they need to find their entry into the genre you know and this is one of the ways that that it can be done right it's through this like uh there was discourse recently about this idea of cozy horror which is like i didn't love that discourse because it's sort of dismissive of horror as genre but but there is something yeah it's very silly silly. but there's something to be said about I think what that that discourse misses is there's something to be said about new generations of of viewers and listeners and readers needing a way into the genre. Like I had my way into the genre. My way into the genre was the the heyday of like 80s and early 90s horror films. Right. That was my entry point. And so I think that like this is a this is a good entry point Mm -hmm. for like young people in 2023. It's this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, just like YA horror books, I've been reading a lot of YA horror, and it's it's got a lot of those same qualities. Like, here's your entry into the genre, which so I love it for that reason. Um, my other recommendation is going to be a podcast that I've been obsessed with lately. Um, it's called The Evolution of Horror. It is. Do you I know love it? this pod. Oh my it's god, so Jason! Good. It's, so it's so good. good. Please go. Yeah, it's so good. I just I'm I out just of the loop, but I, I just discovered it. I just discovered it. I I just I just discovered it because I I I made a road trip recently to Tennessee for our annual writing retreat, and I needed something to listen to on the road trip. So I was picked like a you know one year I did the black tapes, like that's when I listened to the black tapes. This year I picked this podcast, and what it is is it started in like 2017, and it's been going ever since, as far as I can tell. But what it is is they is the host, very charming guy. He it's a British uh, production as well. That's worth pointing out because that that's that's really important in terms of like the viewpoint. Um, but what, what they do is they take the horror movie 
genre and they break it down by subgenre. Yeah. And then they do like 15 to 18 episodes showing how that subgenre developed. And so the first cycle they did was slashers. And so they started at the very beginning of like, like pre slasher, like movies that were like the proto slashers. And then they move through the slasher, like, and they talk about, and they go deep, like they go super deep. They have like very knowledgeable guests and they go really deep on like how this subgenre developed. I'm in the middle of the ghost subgenre. I'm just about done with ghosts. And I think the next one is maybe vampires. I'm not sure, but I haven't gotten um, that far. Yeah. But like, it's so good. Like you want just like incredibly intelligent, incredibly nuanced and satisfying discussions <sighs> about horror movies. Like there's nothing, nothing beats this show. It is like top notch. God, I'm smoking um, with your groan so hard here. Yeah, Jason, because like they started the trunk and the trunk is not where you thought it was. Right. right? Like yeah. I thought I knew where slasher started. Right. God, was I wrong? They, yeah, they, they, they go deep. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and then they, they, and they consider angles you hadn't considered, exactly. which is so great. They, yeah. Then they follow mm-hmm. branches that mm-hmm. I had not even considered. Yep. And it's smart. Uh, I think the secret sauce is obviously he understands it all, but he's very smart in bringing guests in. He gets the right people in that are outside the orbit too. Mm -hmm. people. You wouldn't think you'd bring in to talk about psychologists and like academics. Yeah. It's so good. Um, great recommendation. Hi. Yeah. Just you, you can do so much worse with your time than listen to the evolution of Um, and I've just started, I'm so excited. I've got like four years to catch up on. I'm thrilled. Um, and my last recommendation is actually kind of a cheesy recommendation, but I'm going to justify it pretty well. I think, um, is, is trophy. Uh, that's one of our publications. Uh, we co-publish it with Jesse Ross. Uh, it's our sort of it's two games, trophy, dark, trophy, gold, horror fantasy, um, uh, thing. The reason why I'm recommending it and why it's been in my obsession lately, and it has been, uh, in addition to the fact that I run it, the trophy for, you know, for I, it's no secret that trophy was my bet noir for a while because we were having such a hard time getting it done <laughs> because it was in the middle of the pandemic and it was just a very hard project. And I think because of that, when it was finally done, I was just like, I'm done. I cannot, I cannot look at trophy. I can't, yeah, I can't look at trophy. I can't think about trophy. Like it's done. I'm moving on to car from Brindlewood. Like trophy is not in my orbit right now, but I have to say, like, I've been running this like kind of big, like kind of West Marches style campaign for trophy. And, um, we made something really special. I mean, we made something so fucking special and going back into it, like for just the pure pleasure of like doing a campaign and playing it. I'm, I'm falling in love again with this game that was so much work and so much effort and which I grew to resent a little bit. Yeah. But now I'm back at it and I'm like, man, it was a slog sometimes, but we created something truly special and I wish more people do it you know so out of curiosity jason like mm. because you come in very biased at that point after being with through yeah, all of that yeah, that's no yeah. fault of trophy in both right? directions yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. what was the hand that reached up and grabbed you again so what what found you again that pulled you back in and realizing what made you start that entire process well, from the beginning it was my decision to run to take all three books uh dark gold and loom which is the setting book and to do a full like a campaign that combines all three. I was like, you know what? That's what we intend to do. I'm going to put this on my YouTube channel so other people can see how to do it. That's always what I do on my YouTube channel. Show other people what to do. And so I had to 
engage with the books again. I had yeah. to engage with them in a way that they were meant to be engaged with, not me finding typos, right? You know, like I got to engage with them in the fun way. And so, um, and, it, and that caused me to go back and reread things and look at things with fresh eyes and start thinking about things and, in in a way that like where I could enjoy it. And it was like a pleasurable thing to do. And, um, and that's when I was like, I slipped back into it and I was like, man, we, we just made something so cool. And, you know, and, and and I'm really happy that like, I've rediscovered how much I love it, you know, and that's been, that's been great fun. So everything that we've talked about, all of you listening already know you scroll down, all the links are down there. So you can go uh, chase all of these great recommendations as well as the games that we've talked about. Um, Jason and Alex, there's a really, there's a long list of cool shit to do on a Monday night that doesn't include talking to me. So I want to really thank you guys both for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No, seriously. Thank you for having us. This was fantastic. I'm glad. And the last thing is you're listening right now. You listen to this whole thing. We're done. I appreciate you listening. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floor heads Alex, that was a great first segment for being brand new to the show. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, thank you. Absolutely. I'm you happy totally to leaned into it, which I appreciate it. <laughs> I like talking, so <laughs> always came to the right to show. <laughs> yes, very good. <laughs> no, but that's the kind of thing we do, right? I love it's the stories and that informs everything. So that was great. Sure. That was a great, it was great, great questions, Craig. Yeah, really. No, really. Your question was fantastic. You're one of the that's best good. in the business. So oh, stop it. Yeah. Not that I've ever been like interviewed before, but like those are great questions. <laughs> that, was, that means a lot, Jason. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I'm going to bring us back. Oh my God, guys, you guys are really good at this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was that was You're an incredible too. segment. That was an incredible yeah. segment. That was yeah, it's great. Um, I, I I will throw out there. Alex and like, I are talkers. So we are talkers. <laughs> you get a couple of talkers. We, we, we are talkers. We'll talk. Uh, I'm very happy to hear your thoughts about public access as being such a game changer. We have some things on this on the slate for next year that I'm insanely excited for. Yeah, we're just it's just it's all up and up and up. Yeah, like we're yeah. every crack at there's the, a I th- I think there's a true CFP game changer it. coming out next year. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah well, which means you guys, guys will get. come back on, right? We're doing but, yeah. Um, yeah. like public access allowed me to understand Brindlewood Bay. Mm-hmm. So I struggled with mm-hmm. Brindlewood Bay. Like I got it, but I have this weird process before I can run a game. I have to envision the game. I have to see me doing it. And I was there with public with, with Brindlewood Bay. I bought public access and I started reading it and then allowed me to go back to Brindlewood Bay. I'm like, now it all makes sense. That and was then, how Dungeon World and Apocalypse World were for me. Like Dungeon exact, World is how I figured way. out Apocalypse World. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. exactly mm-hmm. what I mean, Jason. That's exactly what I mean. But and, and I'm blowing smoke, guys. But like, I think public access is a big deal. Like, yeah, I think I we agree. privately yeah. believe that's true as well. Uh, but <laughs> um, I I mean, I think Silverus is going to 
be even Silver bigger. Is so like, yeah, yeah, like 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 I feel like every game is just building on it, cool. you know. So I'm yeah. I'm thrilled. I mean, so know. for the sake of time, we're already two hours. I'm dropping the dark and threshold uh, segment. I, I want to go right into what do you guys groove sure. it on. I think yep. we've touched on it enough. Are you guys okay with that? Uh, that's yeah. fine by me. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, because we're right at two hours right now, and and this whole this segment usually takes 20, 30 minutes, and I I want to be um, yeah. respective of your time. Sure. I mean, I think we probably conveyed what the show is yeah. like. Just I us agree. chatting. Yeah, like, yeah. There's not much else <laughs> yeah. out there other than like you hit the nail on the head. It's like the the, the, the show teaches you not only how to play, but why. You know, why? like here's yeah. the why behind yeah. it. You know, like mm. yeah. And I probably will say this uh, on mic, but if I mm. don't, I've never felt more prepared running a game on my channel as I was for mm. Brendan Woodback. Love that. Because the work you, yeah. that, 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 that all of you do, just, not just the I, two yeah. of you. I learned how to run the between because I watch Jason's APs. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like this. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll bring us back. Uh, oh, hey. Are you still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over. But if you're bored, why not go to Patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway, thanks for sticking around. Take care.